Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. You had to be there, the performance rankings, a slight tangent, and the crappy quiz. Have you ever done therapy, Adrian? Specifically related to the crappy quiz, though. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. It's uh, Europa League night, obviously, which means Manchester United are in action. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But we have a show for you today by popular demand. David Brady is back after last week. What do you think of that, DB? Uh, yeah, we might play. We, we, we play the, what do you think of that, Paddy Andrews? That was also uh, doing the rounds last night. It should be on our socials. If you haven't seen it, check out the football pod. Uh, at 7.30 on Thursday morning, I'm uh, delighted to say Adrian is here. Adrian, good morning to you. Morning, folks. Last week went so well, Jared. Also, be back. back by popular demand. And uh, Shane, how are you? Morning. How's all? Uh, I mean, I don't want to talk about Manchester United today, but Marcus Rashford is out. Are you are you going to finish in top four now, that Marcus Rashford? Because we've basically been a one and a half man team. It's, it's either been Casemiro or Rashford. Uh, yeah, you can't have you can't have them all at once, can you? I, I don't think it's that concerning. It seems that he's going to be back for their run into the to the season, which is which is crucial. They've this is the run back. into the season. I know, but Eriksen's back now as well, and yeah, it leaves a bit of a gap. But. Um, once Anthony Martial starts scoring goals, once Anthony Martial starts scoring, and the uh, Luke, the uh, illustrious Vaid as well, of course, he can bang in the goals. Yeah, uh, no, it's a concern. Of course, it's a concern. Um, but yeah, Europa League's the focus. Uh, Evan Ferguson is the focus next weekend for Man United, of course. Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. So some big games coming up. Uh, Vaid of course, going back to Burnley next season. You know, having not had to go down, he'll be able to go back and play directly in the Premier League with them. Hopefully that's not true and actually they'd go for Obafemi instead. But um, Vincent Company might not be there. Vincent mm. Company like telling everybody stop linking me with the Man City gig. Now they're linking him with the Spurs gig overnight. There's no chance he takes that job. Why not? I'm t- it's a great job. Yeah, but he's taking Burnley to the Premier League. I mean, if, if, they refu- if they didn't get promoted to the Premier League, then you might be saying, right, he wants a Premier League job at this stage. He might jump ship from... Are you Turf saying Moore? the... Uh, just just let's, just let's tease this out here. If you're, if you're his agent... You're like, I've got Spurs on the phone. He's like, no, I'm taking Burnley to the Premier League. Yeah, I gave them my word. I'm a man of my word. He's lived so close to Manchester. Burnley is stone's throw for Manchester. He's lived in that area for his, what, for how long now? Going down to London would be a... I suspect he can have a nice gaff in London. He could, of course. And... Culture shock, though. If you're, if you're rich enough, they'll give you a driver. Well... Somebody will drive the car down for you. You don't even have to, like, drive it yourself. It'd be odd timing for his career, is the thing, right? Like, he's doing a very good job at Burnley... Can he can he pick up that template and drop it in at Spurs? The only counterpoint to that I, that I see is that like everybody knows that Tottenham's a basket case, so it's basically a shot to nothing. Like you go in there and make a balls of it, and then in six months' time, go, not my fault, as they as they all have done, every single one of them, and maybe legitimately. Yeah, who who, who would take the Tottenham job realistically? Oh, you would take it for the money, of course, but it's then- a brilliant job. What are you talking about? They've got like one of the best, most profitable stadiums in world football. It's like uh, London, so you can attract the best talent. They've I got mean, a track record of investing money. They just invested it badly in the last time. And um, they've been a, a Champions League team there or thereabouts over the last decade. How many trophies has that talent got them, though? The stadium is the thing that people always talk about. I, I, I could see the attraction of, we give you this nice shiny office and you can come in. That, mm. that's, that's but the money the stadium generates is the thing. I know, it, and the talent, I mean, they're maybe a layer below or a layer below below that it attracts. Deli Alley. Yeah. Wait, hashtag wasted talent, maybe. There's plenty of that, Jer, to go around. I don't know. It's not going to be company. You know, it's, an, it's definitely not going to be company. I mean, I, I, love, I love your uh, cocksuredness, but I've no idea where, where it's coming from. Uh, are, you, are you both genuine? Sorry, okay. Do you really not think it's a good, a good idea for well, a company to 
to like have taken Burnley as far as they can go because let's face it you know maybe he gets up and they stay one season and they're like competitive and they finish between 8th and 16th but then after that they're going to be fighting relegation it'd forever be, it'd be a typical Tottenham appointment um, in the sense that like who the hell knows whether he's any good or not yeah you know like Frank went down and lit the place up down there and everybody was saying well this guy is going to be unbelievable look at the job he's doing to Derby and it just hasn't Frank didn't light the place up though well, he, was, he did pretty well. He, he left with an enhanced reputation, and that's why he was able to take... I think there was a lot of evidence to suggest that, um, you know, when we talked about Frank the other day, people were pointing out that, like, the team that he had, he had, like, three or four genuinely Premier League class players on loan. And Mason Mount was there for the season, a couple of others. And, um, you know, they're clearly not championship players. I think he's done a good job. I think it's he's gone slowly about building it. He seems to have a specific style of play where the team are doing one specific thing. Week in, week out, as opposed to Frank with, like, you know, mentality, don't make mistakes. So we're going to keep it tight, lads. The one thing I would say about... about Remember when I played? <laughs> back in my day. But the one thing I would say about company is that there's a bang of Kevin McStay offence in company. Like, you, the, the, the team talk style. You, you see the behind the scenes in Ross Common years ago when McStay did that team talk at halftime in the Connacht final, was it? And then, you, was it all or nothing when you saw the behind the scenes with, with company? I don't know if it was all or nothing, apologies. But uh, their team talk style is very much similar when the team is, has the backs against the wall so there, that's just uh, something I noticed but um, you'd certainly play for company I see Brendan Rodgers here as the I was just having a look at the odds he's an ideal fit for them like he Makes can go sense. in there it's a bit of a pretend club Tottenham do you know uh, what I mean uh, like and he can go in there and pretend like Brian Kerr would say pretend with the best of them and you know be trotted out every week to say that everything's fine you know this club has been this club is a behemoth and it's been character. absolutely perfectly got great, char- got great character mm. And um, and I think that that would be a good fit. The care quote, by the way, is I can spoof with the best of them. Are you calling Spurs a spoof club? They are a bit of a. They are a bit, aren't they? Like, I mean, they're a bit of a. They are in in no. the in the sense of like European football. Just are clearly to, any success a little bit of a yo-yo. Just want to in the moment um, distance myself from the notion that Spurs are a spoof club with the uh, array of talent they have and the fact that they are consistently in the hunt for Champions League. They just haven't managed to. I, I'm talking about them being a bit of a spoof club in the sense of. Um, not really achieving anything or not winning any trophies, right? Like, and not really bringing in the best talent. They're, they are a layer below that. They have, obviously, ambitions, and that's, on one level, very admirable, to pierce that bubble and, and make themselves constant Champions League, a constant Champions League team and a team that should be vying for the Champions League, a team that looked at one point as if they might be vying for the Premier League, but it's never really happened for them. Mm. That's, that's the sort of club they are, which is fine. They're just not a they still might get top four. 087-9-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, hello, Bobby Dwyer. Specifically you this morning. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing it to anger you, Bobby. Le- leave a comment in the YouTube, uh, youtube.com forward slash off the wall. Here's what's coming up between now and uh, 10 o'clock for you. We have Graham Hunter at eight, reflecting on last night's uh, Champions League action, a 2-0 defeat for Chelsea at the hands of Real Madrid. DB is going to talk to us at 20 past eight. Vinnie Perth going to preview the weekend's League of Ireland action at 8.45. We have You Had to Be There with Keith Tracy and we'll play some goodness from the football show last night as well. Uh, I may be delusional as a Burnley fan, says Nigel Gallagher, but I don't think he'll take the Spurs job. I think he has more awareness of his development as a coach. Maybe he thinks that there's a, a bigger job than the Spurs job that will come from uh, overseeing Burnley's eventual relegation in 18 months. I don't know. I'm just not sure about that. Well, he's the Man City manager in about f- four or five years, isn't he? I don't like uh, you know Stephen Gerrard's going to be the Liverpool manager and like blah blah blah. It's it's fated that this is going to happen. It's not. Nothing's fated in football, really. Like 
Pep might go at the end of the season. Pep might be there in 10 years because he's getting 20 million a year and he's like, well, I'm still, I'm still amazing myself with my own ability to pick four centre-backs and <laughs> turn them into a, a, the best defence I've ever had. I don't know. Like, Does the Arteta curve continue to go that way? Like, uh, uh, history shows that that's not necessarily going to happen. And at some point or another, that's, that's the way this thing works. That won't be enough for him to stink the joint out. Joint out. He's been at Man City before. He knows the club. They're not his club as Pep would tell you, but um, that's, not, that's not beyond the, the bounds of possibility. And I also think Steven Gerrard will be the Liverpool manager at some point. We, we forget oh. very quickly. We forget very quickly. Not I'm talking hope. 10 years' time, this man. Not a hope. Not a hope. I don't think Steven Gerrard will still be a management team. Sorry, maybe, if, maybe if, the, if FSG no longer own it, anything could be possible. Somebody he might won't be the successor to Klopp, put it that way, but... Somebody might line. put him in as a... Uh, um, who won't be the successor? Oh, Jared. I, yeah. Jared's not going to get it. Uh, some of the other stuff that's making the uh, back page headlines, obviously, it's uh, Kareem Benzema scoring again. He only scores against the English teams. He's anti-English. He's, uh, he's anti-Brexit ever since Brexit. No, he nothing to do with that, turns out. He just likes scoring goals. He's good at, good at the old tap-ins, Kareem Benzema, isn't he? Yeah, you, you have to be there. there. You, have to, that, that's, you, know. you have to be there. Yeah. You know? He's the boy. He's great at get himself in the, in the position. Or I think that's the cliche that we use around these things. Strikers don't get enough credit, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he had to make that movement to get there. Do you know that little ball over the top last night? By the way, in the lead into that goal was off the charts. Ah, brilliant! Probably didn't get enough enough love. Dave McIntyre in commentary was giving it an assist. It was that good, even though I think it was oh. a pre-assist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mane hit Sané after City lost. This is an incredible story. If only Colin was here. He loved his creative tension between. Uh, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah and reckons that Mo Salah is missing the creative tension it turns out you could get a thump from um, Sadio Mane if uh, you were you know if you stepped out of line and Leroy Sané found that to his cost according to stories all over the um, the media this morning so apparently they were arguing on the pitch and you could see that and there are some pictures of it uh, but um, they continued arguing uh, all the way through uh, to the dressing room afterwards and uh, Mane thumped him yeah he hashtag doesn't seem like the type does he sell your money? <laughs> do you know? He really does. Huh? After thumping someone in the head and leaving them with it. They, I saw the two of them getting on the bus. They were all very sheepish. There was a lot of fans queued up to try and get autographs. And um, Sané came out and had the head had the hat, had, had over his head and head down. And Mane was also a bit sheepish coming out. You'd nev- I'd never obviously encourage violence in any uh, dis- sort, but uh, sometimes but. That, that is what the teammates need. You know, the verbals sometimes don't sort it out. You're better off not separating them. I Let them have it out and they'll say sorry in a few minutes. I think we've moved past the point where that is a thing anymore. Like, you know, the point where they would say, ah, um, oh, it's great, you know, the training ground, Wayne Rooney having to, like, learn into somebody. That's, that's exactly what you want. Like, it feels like in modern sport, it's in the same bucket as the ranting and raving at halftime. Well, I don't know where it comes in, in relation to the, the Boyer-Dyer scale. Like, what kind of a... Interaction was it? We don't get to see it on camera. So, was it an absolute smack? To, oh yeah, I think for a while? I think there was uh, blood was drawn. <sighs> Serious enough. Good comparison. It is one of the reports. So, uh, I, I mean, it's just interesting that uh, he, he was blaming Sané was blaming Mane, and uh, Mane was not having it. It shows that they care. They care. Liverpool fans would like it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he for even outside of like punching a teammate might have to leave the club because just it's not working out for him I was looking at his stats the other day and they're really really poor I'm not watching enough of, the, enough of that football obviously to know if he's if there's a story beyond the stats but I presume Liverpool fans would have him back tomorrow Ah yeah and for, with Firmino going at the end of the season as well It's all the end of an era lads uh, no chance of one company at Spurs, says Bobby Dwyer. Good morning to you, Bobby. Uh, not proven in the Premier League, and he'd be straight off to City at the first chance. Who would take the Spurs job? Outrageous statement. One of the biggest jobs in the Premier League. 
It is It is definitely one of the biggest jobs in the Premier League and they also pay really, really well. Mm-hmm. So loads of people want the Spurs job because it's a great job. That's the... That's the uh, to be factually correct about this. Big news coming out of the um, dubs overnight. Um, well, apart from the, the headline here, is James McCarthy was obviously out to impress yesterday, and he's making the point that um, while it's above their pay grade for the players, basically the provincial championship doesn't make any sense. And I think it is interesting. I know you were sceptical about this in our pre-show meeting. I think it is interesting that the players are like, "This doesn't make any sense." Because once that starts to happen, it seeps into the consciousness. You're reading Jim McGuinness and he's like, no, 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 we can't get rid of this. You, once you get rid of the history, you can't bring it back. It's like, yeah, great. We, we can't bring that back because it has literally been a blight on the uh, GAA's calendar since it was invented. Well, I think the, the point is that most weeks in the build-up to my own county's first ever involvement, first involvement of the year in the Ulster Championship, I'm really excited. This this week I couldn't care less. Like I'm, I'm I will be in Haley Park and Oma on Sunday to watch <laughs> Roman and I'll be there. Couldn't care less, but but I mean, if, to, to lose. It feels not, like the jeopardy yeah. just isn't the same. You know, in previous years you lose, you go into the first round of the qualifiers, which is a bit of a gargantuan task then to get through that to get to an All Ireland quarter final or the Super Eights or whatever it was. But this year it feels like, well, if they lose to Tyrone, they've got the five weeks to to recuperate for the group stage. Just remind me about the Super Eights because I've kind of forgotten. Were there only eight teams? Only eight teams. It was basically the All Ireland quarterfinals. There was group. actually Super Eights. Yeah, there three, was two right. two groups of four. Right. Yeah. yeah in which case, there three. was some jeopardy to get into that because you were in the top eight. Yeah. 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 Are we sure about that? Because it feels like you know. Yeah, you got through the qualifiers, or else some bad teams winner. managed to make it. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas with this, it's like the my super sweet sixteen, and, and then it's like my super sweet twelve a month later. It's a new way of looking at it, right? And there is that bit of like there will be dead rubbers, as we've seen, that will crop up, like. Uh, you know, fair play to obviously what New York have done if they end up in there you would expect that there ends up in some dead rubbers in that group maybe they were talking about extending that group maybe even to five we should see how that plays out but um, the point that I was making was provincial structure is not making sense is the headline in the start today um, and is it, maybe it needs to be death by a thousand cuts with this thing that, that's uh, unfortunately that like it could have been they could have ripped the bandaid off with yeah. proposal B last year I mean like oh, let's go the last, actually, the, the, the last straw would be the players saying that's it. We actually, this crap. I do think that uh, Proposal B could have rescued the uh, provincial championships because they would have put the provincial championships at the start of the year. Remember when, like, there's huge crowds at uh, what's your what's your local tournament in the preseason tournament? Doctor Mechanical. Doctor Mechanic. Not the Elburn. The Doctor Mechanic. There's like huge crowds at that because there's this mad like pent up. Everybody wants to go and see the teams play. And if that was the Ulster Championship and it was run off over three or four weeks. I think I think you would be getting ten, fifteen thousand at those games. Instead, well, yeah. it's like now everybody's going, and there'll be big crowds because there's nothing else on for a few weeks. But they tease us; they improve things year on year. Like they got rid of the, the universities from from that uh, from the mechanical, for example, which was definitely a step in the right direction. But then it's such a slow process to make it interesting again. I think there is something in that. Maybe I don't know. Do you put the top two teams in your province? Who fin- or the t- say the top four teams in your province who finish in the league in the in the top four places? Do you put them into the in the provincial semi-finals? You get an awful lot of draws getting into depend on the province getting yeah. into a well, that's Leinster thing. semi-final, let's say, or a Connacht. Yeah, you might have Division Three team semi-final or, or finally. Uh, when the players retire from playing county, says Michael, having a provincial medal is something they will be proud of. I mean, I suppose, but the players are proud of their railway cup medals. Like that doesn't mean that we should still be persisting with the railway cup when it completely disappeared I mean look they kind of screwed the provincials uh, the railway cup by the time of year it was but anyway um, 
Well, that's the league as well, so that gets replaced by a more competitive league that people are putting in more of a... I mean, And everybody gets to improve collectively at the same... And you get to manage expenses and you get full oversight and it's like loads of different reasons and there's loads more games and you can develop a fan culture which is actually one of the interesting things I think uh, I've begun to realise that you, we don't have a fan culture we just have this kind of abuse people just go because there's one game a year and you go and you event for that 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes and then you go home and you're uh, internet trolling the Leitrim players like the Leitrim players getting abuse the Leitrim County Board have issued a statement saying what the hell is wrong with you you were actually speaking to um, somebody close to the situation yesterday, Shane, and the people, there's genuine anger about the fact that uh, the Leitrim players have been attacked by faceless morons. Well, this, the, the people, a lot of people watching this morning will, will have seen or used Hogan Stand and those other forums, and, and you can have anonymous accounts, and it's similar to Twitter as well, the vitriol that's on there. Um, the fact that people can hide behind accounts and criticise, or in many cases abuse amateur Gaelic footballers or hurlers, is actually remarkable. They wouldn't say that it's like they wouldn't say it to any of them walking down Carrick on Shannon Main Street. They absolutely wouldn't. Like, not a chance. So the fact that they can hide behind and say these things, the Leitrim players weren't trying to lose to New York. And the point is, years ago Leitrim lost to London for the first time. They've lost to New York for the first time. These things happen. But the, those players had to go into their their jobs on whatever it was Tuesday morning once once they got back from New York and face the music and get back into daily life and the fact that they have to put up with this sort of crap is Irrespective of whether or not they're amateurs, right? Because I think yeah. that sometimes the amateur thing is used as like, a, oh, you actually can't have a proper analysis of the game because, you know, or if somebody like does, if somebody sticks a finger in their eye, oh, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, I, I think just as like normal human beings mm. should not be getting abused for anything like by... Uh, anonymous people online. You should not be able to say stuff anonymously online to people that you wouldn't say to their face. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that stuff that happens in the in the stands anyway, right? Like oh, during yeah. a game. We've all been at the games. Like you have to be. I don't know. At this day and age, that that sort of stuff it only gets worked out within the stands, within the grounds, by being policed culturally by other people who can go. Listen, will you shut up? Like. That's absolutely OTT, particularly at GEA games where you end up having a lot of family and friends and stuff around. It's just the level of unawareness to do that now. Why do you think that happens? So, I, like, Tommy's been talking a good bit on the football part about trying to build uh, a supporter culture in GEA. I think it's because the, the games, there's so many day trippers who go to just that game that they feel entitled to behave like that because there isn't a cultural policing because there isn't a group of people who go to all the games and are like, no, no, that's not, that's not how you behave. When I was at the league final, the Galway Mayo final, there was a few words used directed towards one Galway player in particular during the match that I was shocked by. I was literally sitting there going, and I've been going to matches for years and I was shocked at what he was called, by a, a man who I would say was in his 60s. A Galway fan? Uh, it was a Mayo fan, about Galway players. Right. Um, but, and that's not to tar all Mayo fans with one brush, but it was disgusting. And I was like, this is like... This kid, you know, if it was a 15-year-old or 16-year-old, you'd, you'd think, Jesus, they're going to grow up and, and eventually realise you can't say that. But but this was a grown man, you know, and it was it was disgusting. And did anybody, was it policed? No, not policed at all. And there was a lot of looks, obviously, thrown his direction, but, um, and that's just one tiny little portion of Croke Park, you can imagine. Well, that results in, that that does result, that can't, you're opening yourself up to, like, look, ultimately, with stuff like the smoking ban and all that sort of stuff, they were successful because people were going, here, can you stop doing that? I'm not into it. Mm. Uh, and we all know that it's the same same way if, you know, you're talking to somebody over the weekend or whatever and somebody says something on the line or your mate drops something into the WhatsApp group. Yeah, you call them not, out. It's not, well, and it's not easy, right? Like, it's easier to 
say nothing, uh, it's not easy to turn around to your man and go, here, would you mind packing that in? Because what you're doing is you're opening yourself up to, like, possibility of a bit of physicality there. Mm. Depending on the outlook of that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you would hope at that stage that uh, you know, the, the force of the uh, silent majority become less silent and are like, hang on a second, you can't be doing that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, look, tell us your stories. We should point out that the, uh, the Telegraph, the, the Telegraph, I'd say, is one of the most well-read uh, papers amongst the rugby fraternity in Ireland. They're going to be very embarrassed. They're going to be choking on their... What, what do you have for breakfast, Adrian? <laughs> Porridge. Caviar. No... Absolutely, every morning, Jer. Well, I mean, that's the breakfast of champions, Black obviously. Seed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, how do you sex up your? How do you posh up your porridge? Black seed. Posh you porridge. Up your right. porridge. <laughs> uh, who cares about women's rugby? Irish crisis exposed. This is this is super embarrassing for the IRFU and for everybody involved in uh, rugby in Ireland at, at an administrative level, and it's embarrassing for the players who are going to represent Ireland in the Six Nations this weekend. While men's national team are riding high, their female counterparts feel ignored by Union's old boys club. This is a story by Fiona Thomas. Just a, f- a few quick bullet points on this. Uh, following a wide-ranging investigation, it can now be reported that at a dinner in Dublin last month, a prominent figure in Irish rugby said, who gives a fuck about women's rugby during a speech made by the IRFU president? I apologise for the language, but it's what, uh, it was what was said. There have been horror stories around team selection with players being missed off emails or not even told they've been dropped ahead of a match. Players were refused protein supplements in the build-up to the team's tour of Japan last year. Players were not properly consulted about the IRFU's decision to change the colour of the team's shorts from white to navy blue because of period concerns. And the IRFU refused to explore the option of hybrid contracts instead favouring a full-time or nothing attitude. Now, they have got some comments from the IRFU in response to this. They are saying that they dispute the claim about the um, uh, change of shorts that uh, one of the players had said it was nothing more than a PR stunt. Some of the squad only learned of the news on Instagram. Um, the RFU says that this was first identified by players during the tour of Japan when they were informed the colour change was going to happen. Um, and then also the RFU said that it had no recent evidence of players being missed off selection emails and that it had specific policies in place for informing players about team selection you know, you're parsing the language. No recent evidence. Well, what does recent mean? Is it this week, last week, this this tournament? How how recent are we talking about from the IRFU's perspective? Um, and then in terms of the contracts, um, the IRFU told the Telegraph it had consulted heavily with players before it unveiled full-time contracts last year and that it had acted upon specific requests from players. The team's contract model, it added, was constantly under review. Um, but John Cronin, who you should follow John Cronin on Twitter if you have any interest in women's rugby or rugby in Ireland. He's the director of rugby at Railway Union RFC. And he says, an old boys culture tends to pervade the organisation that can be quite hostile to women's rugby. Women's rugby has come along, but the governance hasn't evolved. Um, the RFU says such claims are objectively untrue. It's investing millions in the development of the women's game at both the professional and community level. Uh, we've seen consistent growth and participation of women and girls, testament to the work going on across the country to attract more females to the game. They have a dedicated women's committee and women's advisory group who are tasked with overseeing the growth of participation by women and girls in the game. Um, And it has uh, recently appointed the head of equity, diversity and inclusion. So, um, yeah. The IRFU subcommittee for women's rugby involved members being appointed rather than voted onto it. There's no single representatives from any of the 10 clubs from the women's AIL. So that's um, just massively embarrassing. And, you know, I presume... Sponsors Aon of the women's team are uh, less than happy about who cares about women's rugby. Irish crisis exposed headline. So, uh, will there be any? Uh, will this? Will this story take off? Will Will the rest of um, 
will the rest of the rugby um, journalists take this story up? It'll be very interesting to see over the next 24 hours. Well, we've just been talking about a culture where something is said that's not right and, you know, a fellow supporter or a colleague or whatever turns around and says, listen, what are you saying that for? That's, that is the thing that drives a culture and I think it's totally appropriate here. Like, uh, to use the hackneyed phrase, the RFU are clearly, as they have pointed out themselves, on a bit of a journey from a poor place into a better place and they clearly still have a bit of a journey to go on and I think that, like, obviously they're quoting chapter and verse around the policies that, are, that they've brought in or the um, new processes or the better uh, facilities or better uh, terms and conditions for the women's players and the investment that's there. So those things can coexist, obviously, in any company with a um, cohort that have still got a poor attitude. So, like, I mean, you think you have to take the article on its on its merits and, you know, the, the statement has come out. Um, as you say, I'm sure the sponsors will be interested here a little bit more than that. And it would be nice to see them to go, to see the RFU go a bit of a step further and, um, like, are they internally sort of asking around? Mm. Anybody here? Because it's, it's, it might be legitimate that nobody heard that. Uh, it, I mean, it might be, but it might be. Uh, so the, the exact details are at a presence dinner attended by around 200 people last month. IRFU President John Robinson gave an address during which he referred to the progress the union has made with the women's team after the rollout of full-time contracts last year, to which a prominent figure in the Irish game said, who gives a fuck about women's rugby again, pardon my, my French. Uh, Robinson was not within earshot of the comment, but obviously somebody heard it, yeah. otherwise it wouldn't be reported. I mean, somebody within the IRFU, and like, but, you know, if it was in most companies, you'd feel that people are sort of the next day, or whenever this emerges, did anybody hear that? Does anybody know who did that? Yeah. Anybody said that? That's the bit that actually properly addresses the culture. Uh, the 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 thing about players not being told or informed by email of their non-selection is that's pretty bad if true. The IRFU saying it has quote no recent evidence. So obviously it did happen missed. before that. Yeah, well, that, that's what I'm taking from that yeah. uh, phrase. But but certainly that's that's a massive issue. Um, right. Uh, yeah. And look, the the coaching ticket are due to obviously announce the team and do press conference stuff later today. So you would expect that this is going to come up. Greg McWilliams doing a presser later on today to announce the squad. So no doubt. He will be asked about this, and uh, like, it's an, it's an awful position to be in because, like, yeah, but or, or it's a good opportunity to be an agent for change, you know? Yeah, that if that happened, that's disgusting, and I'm going to stand for my team, and I'm going to stand for my players, and actually, here's the truth of I've I've consulted with the players today, and I've I've asked them about the change of shorts, and here's what the current team are saying, and and sure, some people are unhappy with that, but we can't keep everybody happy. There's a, there's a way to navigate this that is like, ask me anything. And we will we will do our absolute best to answer that. Or there's another way to answer it, which is like no questions on that. Uh, questions about the team selection today, and that's it. Oh, so yeah. uh, we shall see. And Noel Cal says I'd bring back the interprovincials, but make a full weekend festival of it in Croke Park. The whole notion of the All Ireland Final Weekend Festival is something that Christy O'Connor has been writing about for I'd say the best part of a decade. And you kind of still feel like, especially last year when the minor wasn't on beforehand, there was kind of a sense of like there's something missing and. I still don't think they've got the Jubilee thing fully right. Like, that should be a much bigger hoo-ha. I still think that, like, they could turn... Like, who's who's performing at the All-Ireland Final could be a bigger deal than, you know, or somebody screaming into a microphone and a bit of Kayleigh dancing in the background. Half-time, yeah. Or, like, pre-match now, there's an opportunity to do stuff to get people into the, the stadium and, like, have a sense of occasion as opposed to, right, it's 70 minutes and that's it. We should have a fly- Why don't we have flyovers at Croke Park? Why don't we just Super Bowl the hell out of it for the All Ireland Finals? 
Well, we've spent all our money on Joe Biden, Shane. That's, well, uh, that's black right and That budget is empty. Of course, yeah. Um, GA supporter culture was good. The experience in stadiums was good. But over the last 10 years, the entire culture of GA changed and stadium experience is too influenced by US sports with loud music, etc. Uh, I mean, I don't think the loud music is influencing people, abusing people. Like, it's not, it's not giving them cover to be assholes, is it? Definitely not. <laughs> Uh, Spurs go for Luis Enrique says John Claffey uh, Shane what happened to this great young Monaghan team you were raving about last night up down says Lorkey yeah, what down. happened the under 20s get beaten down beat Monaghan in the semi-final yeah Monaghan good wins against uh, was it Cavan and Armagh in the under 20s this year so far but um, the down team is brilliant by the way down so, of, so down they of, go through anyway Monaghan is it a round robin system don't, not sure the 20s but it is in Leinster it's like uh, you play three games and then the four teams that are left go into a semi-finals. But I'm glad Lockins uh, written to me this morning. But that's that's a serious down team. Um, we should just take a moment to mention that Sligo beat Mayo last uh, last night in the under twenties, and it's not the first time that's happened. I think it's the second year in a row. And whatever whatever they've done in, in Sligo under age GEA and whatever they're doing in Sligo uh, getting football in particular, it is it's rising quickly. And um, that's a Mayo under twenty team that had players who could have influenced the outcome of the senior team's defeat at the weekend. We'll talk about that with DB in about 20 minutes time so that's an absolutely massive win for them and plenty of reason to pay attention to that championship anyway the football pods are hitting the road again heading off to Killarney for Off the Ball's first big show of the summer with thanks to AIB Tommy, Paddy and James will be bringing the football pod to the Great Southern Hotel for a live episode with special guests on Thursday the 4th of May join us for a brilliant night of football chat and crack with plenty of focus on the Ireland champions Kerry and the contenders who are coming for their throne it's an exclusive off-air event tickets are limited so don't delay go to offtheball.com forward slash events it's all in partnership with AIB check out the hashtag the toughest for more up after the break we're going to talk to uh, Graham Hunter about the Champions League Uh, first though here is the Coigig crew talking about Sinead Farley's inclusion in the Irish squad and a reminder Quigig Pod on OTB is in association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Right, you're very welcome back. It is two minutes past eight. Uh, time for to turn our attention to the Champions League. A 2 0 defeat for Chelsea at the hands of Real Madrid, who uh, look pretty good but could probably have another couple of gears if they need it. Graham Hunter, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jack Rand. Yeah, thanks. Um, before we get into Real Madrid, right, because, uh, you know, there's so many great things to talk about about them. I just do want to get your impression and just the general Spanish impression of what the hell Ted Bowley is doing in charge of a football club. Because every time a story comes out about him, you're like, that can't be true. That can't. That, that. But you could literally tell me anything at this stage. And I think I would probably believe it. Jerry, it's it's not like me to oppose you, but listen, which amongst us, it's about glass houses and stones, <laughs> which amongst us hasn't gone out for a midweek lunch with Florentino Perez, had a couple of glasses too many, strolled out and told the media we're going to pump Real Madrid 3-0? It, which, which amongst us? <laughs> so I think you're being harsh. Well, it's that, and it's the James Corden no, stuff, and it's the 12 aside, no, and it's, oh, we're going to be in the Champions League next season, we're always there. Half of those stories probably untrue, but who cares? Never mind explaining it. We don't have the time right now to list the ways in which Todd, Father Todd to you, has has gone completely in the wrong direction. He's rowing one way and everybody else is rowing the other. Um, there was a There was a really good visual example of what you're talking about last night at the Bernabeu just like in every uh, Champions League match the, 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 the goalkeepers will come out first so you'll have this in every stadium this beautiful big green playing surface laid out with 
either cones everywhere or balls everywhere, as if they were crop circles, because the players are coming out have been set up by their their technical staff, and everything's in position for the exercises that they're going to go through in the warm up. Then gradually, um, both sets of keepers will be out, and then Chelsea came out long before Real Madrid last night, and it was carnage. There were players everywhere. I'm pretty certain I counted 32 footballers. So with all the associated coaches out there, there was a stage when there were 40-plus people on one half of the pitch, and then the reigning Spanish, European, and world champions came out, and a tiny part of the other half of the pitch was occupied. Because you only need, um, if you include coaches, about 24 good men in the men's game, not in the women's game, in order to dominate the planet and become the most successful footballing unit around at the moment and on a tot-up basis ever. So uh, once they were both out, there was a tiny pocket of green space occupied by Roman doing two rondos and then Chelsea employees everywhere in the other half. And, yeah, I'm a cynic about... No, I'm not a cynic. I'm a critic of the the way in which every club has two book list prices for their players. For the general market that come in, and then they have... A, I know this as a fact. I've been told this directly. They have another list price when Chelsea comes in. Um, I watched the way in which Arsenal's scouting and and football direction went awry under Wenger when he didn't have the cojones to sack or or remove or create a hierarchy amongst the the four different men who all felt they were on equal terms and Dick Best, Steve Rowley, Francis Cagliao and Arsenal's policy became a mess nobody was quite sure who had the final say there was backbiting and jealousy and Chelsea have created a joint um, director of football structure with a technical director above them. So at, at the moment, it doesn't matter too much to Frank Lampard because the market's closed. But in terms of when the next coach comes in, when the permanent coach comes in in the summer, to whom will he feel that he's answerable? The owners, one of the two football directors, the technical director above him. Who will tell him that he's answerable to them? In organisations, power struggles emerge. Chelsea have created it. And I'm not, not for one minute am I saying that any of the people that I'm referring to now in this organigram is the Spanish uh, uh, organisational chart. Excuse me. I'm not for one second saying that any of them lacks talent. But the structure's wrong. The structure will propagate uh, power battles communication difficulties in terms of whose word is final, to whom do you report back if you want to ask something, never mind be answerable for performance levels. I I don't understand because Todd Bowley, remember, is um, he's it's not insignificant what he's invested. It's not insignificant that he was the main driver of a purchase which he, he tried to make in 2019 and finally went through in May 22. There's... Um, uh, Feliciano, there's Mark Walter, there's uh, Edad uh, Egboli. So that's a mixture between Todd Bowley and, and those who comprise Clear Lake and Mark Walter, who's a personal friend of, of Todd Bowley. So in terms of, uh, I think you were referring to the fact that Todd Bowley is becoming a watchword for 
uh, sideshow Bob behavior. It's 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 a little bit. Much though I respect his his previous uh, business entrepreneurial and indeed emerging sporting success in his own you know, sphere of the world, he's not handling this well. And it occurs to me that the others who've got serious financial stakes in this project may need to be reviewing whether he is the right one to be the, the front man for the four of them, whether he needs to rein himself in. I bumped into him last night, said, good evening, good luck, thanks very much, very pleasant guy. That's not what you were asking. Um, it's not, in my opinion, going particularly well. And I think they're sowing seeds for pretty arid harvests in, in the future too. It's funny, Graham. There was, there was one line in your um, uh, latest ESPN piece. I think it was your latest ESPN piece that gave me a, a bit of a giggle when you're talking about Todd Bowley and the, the Chelsea owners. You said, uh, it's as if the Chelsea owners got hold of Perez's blueprints, spilled several glasses of cheap champagne on them, blasted the damn pages with a hairdryer, turned them upside down and read them backward. Like, is your point that Chelsea are basically a failed Real Madrid? My, my, my point is, if it, 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 let's base it on the fact that Todd Bowley has been trying, he, his first concrete efforts about the club in 2019, that means he must have been thinking about it. You know, you don't make an, an instant decision um, to spend, to try and spend a couple of billion on a, on a sports project on the other side of the world in a sport you don't know very well. So let's let's say that this, this idea took seed in his, his brain no later than 2018, maybe 2017. You have time to go out. And, and, and at that stage, they must have been readying themselves to spend the 600 million euros plus. It, it's, it's in, and, and wait, that's purchase price. If we think about the contracts that have been awarded, we won't be very far away from a billion invest and the, and the removal of uh, uh, Marina, the, the managing director, Granoskaya, Peter Cech. Listen, those who've invested will not be far uh, short of a billion euros put into this project at the moment, never mind purchasing the club, which is another couple of billion. Therefore, if you if you want to spend the, the six hundred and twenty million on on player purchases that you've done, there there's a very simple template. So rather than just saying Chelsea are failed with Madrid, they had time to say Florentino Perez has got a similar Galactico idea. Florentino Perez has gone out and with shock and awe tactics, has repeatedly over his quarter century in charge of Real Madrid, spent bucket loads of money on either initially buying the very best senior players in the world or laterally making sure that he has a scouting network and recommendations that allows him to buy the best young players in the world. Militao came at 21, Fede Valverde came at a very young age, uh, Vinicius and Rodrigo came as teenagers and, and you know they're the players that will put Chelsea out next week. In the past it was Zidane and it was Figo and it was you know, paying the wages to make sure that they stayed of Raul and Roberto Carlos and Ronaldo Nazario. There were there was a template where it was very, very simple to, to get into a project saying, we've done our homework, we know what Roma did over these last 23 years when they've won five or six Champions League and four or five, I think it's five Champions Leagues and six World Club Championships. And they've been less successful in La Liga, but their trophy hall is 33 in 23 years and you could have gone in in there very easily and said okay these are the things they've abandoned these are the absolute certainties 
I'm pretty sure they tried to hire Real Madrid's Juni Califat, who is their their principal. It, it doesn't quite work at Real Madrid in calling somebody a, a chief scout. Juni Califat particularly is somewhere between, he doesn't carry the, 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 the position brand name, he's somewhere between a director of football and a head scout, but he's got executive powers because he's so trusted and his record is so good. I think Chelsea tried to hire him. That wasn't enough. It didn't succeed. They have they have spent Real Madrid galactical style money in equivalent to you know the early part of Florentino Perez's reign. But they've done it in a in a willy nilly way. They haven't thought about shedding the the bloated numbers that I referred to when I was talking to Jer. They they seem to be doing it in a in a in a shotgun manner. There's nothing rapier like. There's nothing specific uh, uh, about it. They, they for example. They, they didn't buy a centre forward in, in the winter market. They've, what have they got? 29 goals in 30 games, or it's 30 and 31. They're one short of a game, of a goal per game. Um, they, they were a little bit shot shy last night. They, they've got Aubameyang on the books. They didn't register him for the Champions League. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's their money. So boo-hoo. You know, a lot of people listening to off the ball AM may be saying. But... For the health of football, for our respect for never mind Todd Bowley, but for Chelsea Football Club, it it just looks like a complete porridge. It's coming across that way, and uh, there was a, a little bit of that in the performance last night. But actually, you know, it, when João Felix has the chance in the first minute, uh, you know, here he is back in Madrid. The opportunity is, is through, and if he'd just been in a slightly better goal scoring form, or if he was a slightly better goal scorer, they could have been one 0 up, and then it's a completely different game. And one of the great smashing grabs in world football history is on. And maybe if Potter was still the manager, that might happen. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe them. Um, what the whole Frank Lampard thing is just an example of the porridge. Uh, was there anything in the performance from Real Madrid that gave you some pause to think, "Oof, this team isn't quite at the level that it has been in previous seasons when it's won the Champions League." Lots of things this season have, have have hinted at that statement. And last night, there's no question that, um, first of all, beyond the, the João Felix um, opportunity, Militao um, patrolled him brilliantly. Started off with a disadvantage, made sure that he ran, to, didn't tackle, didn't jockey, but ran and got to João Felix's left side so that he forced him a little bit right. Didn't allow him to cut in, which is what he knew João Felix wanted to do. I thought Militao starting from a disadvantage and that early chance did really, really well, after which it was a routine save for Courtois. The save from Sterling was big. The save after um, late on when it was 2-0. There were sufficient indications that Chelsea's game plan had been good. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the way that Chelsea decided to play. The Their pressing, their intensity, the way in which they consistently managed to um, originally isolate Alaba and Militao with with Chelsea's two up, which was João Felix and Raheem Sterling. I, I was looking down at Ancelotti, who was consistently roaring at both um, cross to drop as the pivot to help so that it wasn't always 2v2. This is when Madrid have the ball. So in other words, the idea was that if Chelsea won it, they would consistently be looking to launch beyond. You, you don't want to defend one-on-one or 2v2. So Kroos and Camavinga were consistently being yelled at by Ancelotti just to, to, to be more conservative and to make sure that it was always 3v2 while Sterling and Jean-Felix were on the pitch. Um, until Chilwell's red card, I thought that Chelsea held threat. After Chilwell's red card, 
it wasn't simply as you were hinting that Real Madrid. Tibo Courtois said it best afterwards. He said, you know, that it's been a club era. We, we've got a thorn in our sides about the fact that we should have added a third or a fourth. I hope we don't regret it uh, next week. They Madrid were less impressive eleven v ten. So we come out of this saying, if you, if you want to use a template as um, Inter's performance at Benfica, Manchester City's performance at home at Bayern Munich, if we want to use a template about any of the ways in which Real Madrid played the return legs against Paris Saint-Germain or the first leg against Chelsea or the second leg against Manchester City last season, then last night's performance by Real Madrid comes up short. But they're 2-0 up. They'll enjoy the, the dimensions of the pitch and the atmosphere at the bridge, and I think they'll go through. Um, but Chelsea were in attitude and game plan significantly better last night than I'd expected them to be. And had they been 11 throughout, who knows? Who knows? Uh, I guess we, as football fans, are really hoping that we're going to see the two legs of Real Madrid versus Manchester City just to see what happens. Like, uh, you know, obviously we've seen it before, but we get to see it again this time. And it feels like Pep is getting some kind of higher level of consciousness of what he needs to do with this group to get them over the line and no better team than Real Madrid's over two legs for that to happen yeah, it's a beautiful phrase I, I write some things in, in my columns and I say some things live but the higher level of consciousness man that's that's very zen that's very Buddhist man well done grasshopper you need to walk the earth I, um, I think for weeks we've been watching a team that's been making the sound of, of clicking and I, my personal opinion is that um, incorporating a new style of play and educating a young man who's phenomenally physically and and football talented in Erling Haaland, but educating him as to the the Chelsea, the Manchester City way, the Pep way, people have been, in my humble opinion, very disrespectful about what that takes. I've watched players consistently, whether it be at Barcelona. Uh, by Munich or City, not really understand, not really get on the wavelength. There's been enormous pressure on um, Manchester City to evolve to having a nine, which they hadn't had for a while. Haaland evolving to the movement, the timing, the ideas of both the team, because that's a living entity around you every time you perform in a competitive way, and and the coach, because he's demanding certain things of you. It's a big, big um, amount of of data to, to, to build into your head and then to, to, to realise every time that you're not doing what you wanted to do, which is largely how, in my opinion, largely how Dortmund allowed him to play. I watched him at Dortmund a lot, um, uh, less at Salzburg, where he was allowed, if he wasn't getting the ball, to drop deep into midfield, be given, demand be given the ball, and then run at teams and, and scare the living crap out of them. That's he, he, The system's different. So, for my taste, City have been interesting and impressive in equal measures in the first half of the season, uh, left behind because Arsenal have been dramatically good. But for weeks now, City have looked as if they're, they've clicked. They've got lots of players who look fresh uh, if physically and mentally. And, and for that reason, again, for weeks, I've been saying, I think City can overhaul Arsenal. I think that they're going to be European champions. I, I I think it'll be them against Real Madrid like you predicted in the semi-final. And I think they'll win. They should have won last time. I think they will win this time. Um, I think they'll win the overall competition. And to be honest with you, I find them intensely, intensely fun uh, to watch. I think I think it's 
an, another another version. It, 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 it bears all the hallmarks of a Pep team, but they're playing differently. Several players are playing almost at the peak of their, their performance, which if you get that in any sport, you know, I missed Sligo Mayo last night, but it, it, it wherever we're talking about, if you get a core group amongst you playing at the peak of your powers, your coaching's done well, your, your managerial style is done well because people are convinced they're buying in and then they're excelling, it feels like they are coming, if, if they don't win it, then I'd love to see who beats them. Love to see who beats them. But I think City will win this tournament. Um, I am. Um, those two-leg semi-finals when we get to see this new-fangled Manchester City defence versus the attacking, the array of attacking talent that um, Real Madrid have is, is, is mouth-watering. I did, before we go, want to ask you about Sevilla and Man United and um, just what level of threat there is for Manchester United in this because, you know, Rashford is out, Casemiro's back, so it swings and roundabouts a little bit in terms of team selection, but obviously they wanted both. Um, this is This is a dangerous, dangerous tie for... For Manchester United, it's the it's the mystery and beauty of of the you know dance of the seven veils of football. What what will reveal itself to us? Because Sevilla shouldn't really be in with a chance. They've looked slow and disjointed for the majority of the season. They um, are definitely slow and disjointed in midfield, where Manchester United will have a a pretty serious upper hand. Um, I know that occasionally, you know, for example, away at Newcastle, occasionally on the road, United don't necessarily look as powerful as they do when they click at home or when how they click. I thought they were magnificent against Barcelona. So much enjoyed watching the the, the mentality and their understanding of Ten Hag's strategy. I, I find again United extremely impressive in terms of how they've changed, how they've developed, and the way in which. Several players are, are reborn. Rashford being out is obviously statistically a, a major blow. They're, they're, they're not better in every position man for man, but they are they are significantly better. Sevilla's coach has got no record of, of European football. The, the, Sevilla shouldn't have, a, shouldn't have a prayer. But, you know, they're stubborn. Um, they, they are definitely better without their Argentinian coach, Sampaoli, who was like a... You know, a, 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 a walking personnel own goal. The players couldn't wait to get rid of him. Things have changed. Sevilla can be stubborn. It's down to Manchester United to 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 to, to demonstrate the superiority that we know that they have, not of budget, but of quality. And therefore, it should be Manchester United all day long. But football is is as we know completely nuts. Graham, can I just ask you, we got a message in this morning from someone who suggested that uh, Luis Enrique is a man that Spurs should be looking at. You mentioned the, the sheer numbers on the pitch for, for Chelsea in the warm-up last night. Uh, when, when you look at the numbers and the egos involved in that Chelsea dressing room, would Enrique would Enrique be open to a move to Stamford Bridge, do you reckon? Can we, um, can we always, if we use his surname, use his surname, which is Martinez, uh, Luis Enrique being his first name. Um, I have to Tread extremely carefully here because um, having talked to him, I know the answer. So let me pretend I haven't said that and suggest to you, yes. Yes to Chelsea. I, I, in my opinion, um, not in my opinion, he stated categorically that he wants to coach in the Premier League. His English, which is always a potential barrier for foreigners, is extremely good. And he's been working on 
um, intensifying his, his the quality of his pronunciation of, of words. He's gone to detail, not just can I speak English. He's um, he's pretty obsessed by the competitive nature, the tradition of the the Premier League. There's absolutely no question that he is a ready to coach again. B extremely enthusiastic to do so. C above any league. Him having worked at Roma already and and won the treble with Football Club Barcelona and coached Spain to a couple of semi well a semi final and final. It's the top end of the Premier League that he wants to go to. He's crystal clear that he will not accept any old project. The two things I can leave you with that are 100% accurate are that he will he will not coach any club where they don't come to him and say, you are the man we want. It's not in the interview process. Convince us. That will come. That can come as part of the discussions. He needs the opening stanza of the discussions to be we understand how you coach we understand what you're like we want you if Spurs or Chelsea or Spurs and Chelsea which is my in my opinion potentially where we're at come to him and say that then it will be a battle to see you know which is the better fit which of them want him more which which between the two clubs he, he would choose it's not a, it's not a market without you know competitors there are there are choices for both clubs out there but my impression is that it will now be a little bit of a surprise if Luis Enrique Martinez isn't coaching in the Premier League from June onwards. Um, it, I think it'll be in London. And my opinion is that it will be fun and that he'll be a success. That's going to make all our lives a bit more interesting. Uh, Graham, great to have you with us. Thanks a million, sir. It's like Graham Hunter live on the line this morning from Madrid after the game at the Bernabeu last night. Uh, OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. I'm never not going to call him Luis Enrique Martinez from now on. Uh, like, Jesus, yeah. That's a big mistake. But people don't forget as well that the La Liga table at the moment is quite interesting. And uh, Graham wrote about this recently is that Valencia look like they're going to go down. Like, they're in the relegation spots. Sevilla are five points above that in, in 13th. Like, it would be a, a terrible blow for La Liga to lose a team like Valencia. Sevilla could be in bother as well if they have a couple of bad results but um, it's the equivalent of a top top team in, in the Premier League going down so not good commercially I'd imagine for, for La Liga but it's interesting you'd have to assume they come straight back up but um, you know they've such a great track record of picking managers at Valencia it's true yeah yeah of course 27 minutes past 8 this morning here on OTBAM Jim Sullivan says just admit it you want Riverdance at every half time I do not want Riverdance I was not it was not on my oh, that'd be great it was not on my register of um, stuff that uh, let's have something else like let's have big international acts ah no turn into the Super Bowl no we've well, got to celebrate the Irish culture Jer. we can do both yeah can, not like an Irish international act you mean I, well, I mean well, that would be a big step up mm. Shane that would be a big 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 step up it would like, uh, I'm open to that as well. But yeah. like, it's not a, it's not on the it's not a part of the conversation. No, no ingenuity in changing things up, Chair. Ah, uh, Colin McCarthy says Railway Cup would be good to tie in with the All Ireland Club Finals to make a proper day of it and boost attendance. Nothing worse than seeing empty stands at these. Yeah. The obsession with having every game in Croke Park when you're not going to get more than fifteen twenty thousand. Place doesn't look great. Everybody's dream is playing Croke Park. I get it. It's not a final. I do understand that too. But sometimes an absolutely jam-packed Nolan Park is that not a better thing, better environment? Is that not the case for the the? Um I, I used to love watching the Railway Cup. I used to get fully behind watching all. Like I used to love seeing 
Monaghan players playing alongside Tyrone and Donegal. I think the players enjoyed it as well. So if they could bring it back in a new way and an exciting way and make it work, now obviously the calendar and where you squeeze it in is the issue, but um, certainly it's something I think they should. Yeah, do. I think there's other ways you could do that. You know, you could, you could play in London as a as a trip for the weekend and everybody goes and takes over. I don't know. Uh, uh, finding the gap of the calendar, obviously, and then getting players who are going to be good enough to draw attention mm. to or from a broadcast perspective. Um, anyway, fixing the Railway Cup was not on our uh, bingo this morning. Uh, what was on our bingo was talking to David Brady after uh, Mayo's defeat at the weekend. David, good morning to you. Morning, Jar. Morning, Shane. Do you want to uh, apologise to the entire county of Mayo on behalf of yeah for inspiring Roscommon to their greatness at the weekend, DB? Look, it's, it's, uh, it was, uh, as, as Joe Biden might say, a Freudian slip um, <laughs> when I, I did position uh, a potential uh, uh, rematch between Galway and Mayo. And again, I uh, I was fraudulent, and I think I backed it up by saying this. It was a, it was by no means a, a done deal, and the threat that Roscommon posed once I copped on to myself um, became more real and so real on Sunday that um, they they completely and utterly um, deserved their victory, their win, and the performance replicated what what um, you'd want from a championship encounter. Apology accepted, I believe, is there. <laughs> yeah, I got a nice text from a, a Roscommon man. He didn't say anything. He just sent me one ticket for a, a, a 100 euro draw for to win 200,000 in Roscommon. So you know, you know what? I've paid my dues. I've paid my dues. <laughs> Davy Burke said after the match, uh, David, he said the players felt a little bit disrespected during the week. The commentary was a bit one-sided. What, what commentary do we reckon he was talking about? Honestly... And, and I listen to a lot of it. And again, you, you, you're going, people are going to have to make a prediction. Yeah. Now, and you're going, well, tell me, it's either a scum or a You can't say it's a draw because someone has to win on the day. So a lot of people would have went with the National League winners, um, a team that played Roscommon a number of, a few weeks previous and won not by a lot. I think it was four points. Um, and again, you can make it out. I probably, probably definitely, I'd say, Use my Freudian slip to say I, I did jump ahead of myself when we were talking 24, 48 hours after a, a Galway Mayo National League final um, that there could be there could be a, a rematch on the cards. But um, part of that, I, 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 honest to God, I don't think there was in any way, shape, or form disrespectful. Um, the vast majority, everyone, always pointed out the fantastic league performance, and for me, I think the league performance in 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 Roscommon was the icing on the cake, was their absolute clinical um, execution and demolition of, of Donegal in the final game. Um, that sent them on a, on a perfect um, pedestal to, uh, to, to come into Mikhail Park, um, not as underdogs, but not in man, many people's mind firm favourites, but they left um, as the ultimate favourites and winners. Yeah, I mean, they, they, only they... Use that, you can only use that a certain amount of times. That's that. It. I think that's it now for them. Um, there's no more under the radar. There's no more people are doubting us. It's like actually, you know, we we have belief and we can inflict our game plan on anybody. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, we did. We did have a conversation after we've we've had two conversations with you so far this year. One was actually, you know what? When in the cold light of day, if Mayo get knocked out, it's not a disaster. So we we come to that in a minute. But I did want to just ask you about the template that um, we did talk a little bit about what what Galway did wasn't a million miles away from a bit of what Roscommon did. Uh, Roscommon probably took it to an nth degree. Like, I think they won seven out of nine of their own kickouts going long. The the Mayo midfield just 
didn't know what to do under the high ball and that's something that was evidenced and um, again we've had Keane Johnson looking at this first like uh, you know you can trace that all the way back to the All-Ireland final and the Conca Patrick performance in midfield that day and the goals that come off that um, from Tyrone's perspective against Mayo they haven't sorted that out just yet is that fixable in five six weeks? Um, I, I I think I think it is fixable, but it's only fixable not in one position or one man, or it's not your number eight, it's not your number nine specifically. Um, yes, um, from a ball ball winning midfielder, you know the the likes of 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 Enda Smith versus and Con Fitzpatrick, they're they're outstanding individual ball winners, um, and you need that from a Mayo perspective going forward. But it, for me, it was. It was a, not a replication of the All Ireland final against Tyrone, but it is. It has been proven, and a lot of times, both in league and championship, that when you completely and utterly um, deny space to a Mayo attack uh, and close them down, and just kind of make it pedestrianised from their perspective, they do struggle, and the day did play a part in it as such. But um, you kick the ball long. And as Roscommon did, and as Tyrone did in the All Ireland final, um, if you kick it long, you have a plan, and you know what you're doing. But your setup, your defensive system is already in place, and it kind of even played into the hands of of, of Roscommon as such that Mayo had a press on, that Mayo had the players pushed up because it kind of left a little bit of one on one or uneven numbers to degree further out the field because guys were pressing up more and forcing it long. But they, they played into Roscommon's hand. We want, they wanted that, um, but they were set up from a, from a perspective where if we do if we lost it, that we're already set up in our defensive position and they were outstanding defensively. Outstanding collectively as a team they worked. But again, the likes of Connor Daly or David Murray and Brian Stack, um, they, need, they need to take plaudits as well. Um, they were very, very, very good. Yeah, I think Davy Burke was at pains to stress that the defensive strategy and how it worked. I think they only conceded an average of thirteen points throughout the league as well. And like that, just hunting in packs uh, and giving them no time on the ball. We had referenced that last week, even the the lack of Mayo scores from play, and that was clearly something that Davy Burke targeted. David. Yeah, and, and again, if you look at it, if you look at it, and and um, there's the yin and yang, and Jim McGinnis had his pace, and you could see it and feel it during the game. That it was over ten minutes before Mayo put in a first their first tackle as such. And again, with the wind and the dominance. Now, again, you can go do, on the on the counter of that, Mayo could have been two two up after fifty two two to a point or two points up after fifteen minutes if they got those. And it's not about a break or a bit of luck. Like they had goal scoring opportunities, the ball that came off the crossbar from Stephen Cohen. Like they did, they did have that was their time to put their stamp on the game, and they didn't. And then Roscommon, well, you know, when a game is two points to one after 17 minutes, you're and there is a forceful win there, um, you you get a massive degree of confidence off that. Um, and from from a Mayo perspective, um, they 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 did struggle from a, a I suppose even a game management point of view right down towards the end. Um, but that's that's for me that's these things are all fixable. Again, you don't take the ball into you know in, with your inside full forward line take it into as much co- contact when you're not getting the, the breaks from the referee. You know, it's not about, you know, if the referee is not playing like you feel it's, you're going, you change it. You don't keep looking for the same fouls or the same, you know, they the, run the ball down blind avenues um, 
constantly in the last 10 minutes of the game. Um, it's, 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 and again, I think these things are fixable. We did say a few weeks ago, how would I feel uh, on the on the ninth or on the day of the game? Uh, you want to win, and you want nothing else but a win. Now you have a six-week break. There's been a massive. I, 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 you have to look at the positives because you, you can't yeah, and, and 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 fix the. But it's a new competition. Yeah, it's still a competition. There's a, there's some of the male players that have an opportunity to go and get a little bit of sun this week. Um, they've had a hard since November constant. Um, they know that. You know, it's so, it, and it is. You're going. There's a little bit of guys. You could have. There's a, a game management part of it during it, but they they know by watching the video and doing the analysis where they need to focus on why why they kind of played into Roscommon's hand to a degree, and um, they let Roscommon dictate when they had the ball in their hand. Mayo set up defensively, and Roscommon goes lovely. If we can we can buy three minutes here, or three and a half minutes from this phase of play. Well, then it's it's um, yeah. it's going to suit us coming out in the second half uh, the, with the win. It, it, there's a couple of things I just wanted to, to bring up. The the uh, Dublin Donegal semi final in in 2014, where the kick out was so important. I haven't really seen such a stark example of it since. Really, maybe the other final between Mayo and Tyrone is, is similar level, where the dominance of one team over the other creates the victory and. There's no in-game response to that, which would be concerning, really, because obviously there's intense brain power on the Mayo sideline, and there should be on the pitch where they're like, "Okay, they've absolutely annihilated us uh, on their kickout," and that then feeds into another problem. No one was willing to take on shots. Like I, I understand the disease of wides is something that eats at a crowd, particularly a home crowd, where if there's three or four wides in a row, everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is panic." But actually. If they'd sorted out the kickouts, you'd be able to rain shots in and break even at least on the long range kickouts. So you're going to get the ball back 50% of the time. And all of a sudden, Limerick at the moment are the, the Limerick hurlers are taking way more shots than they're scoring, but they've basically decided the team who shoots the most is going to win. So there's a few little kind of knock on impacts here where if you could sort out the midfield, even if you're trying to break the ball as opposed to trying to fetch it cleanly and you've got a policy to deal with if it's in crisis this is what we're going to do um, and then get them to take responsibility start shooting from they're inside the 40 between the 40 and the 21 surely they can start scoring 33% of those shots 50% of those shots and the the, the the thing is and you're right the thing is that when you have the confidence of saying I, I'd always been shots are good wides are even better because it means you have the ball, you're dominating, and it's just, it will come right. But it is what happens when it goes wide. We're losing all our kickouts. Or the, the Roscommon, we're losing all the Roscommon kickouts. Yeah. And you are saying to yourself, and it is, who have I got? Now, again, you're Aidan O'Shea's full forward, but is was it better against the wind, you know, to have Aidan O'Shea out further out the pitch? Was it better to have... Tommy Conroy, who has more legs, pace and power, out the pitch rather than being kind of like suffocated inside. Probably to bring Aiden out because, um, and again, it, it's 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 probably a, a, not a lesson or whatever, but I I know there's there's an agreement and there obviously was um, between um, the senior management and the under twenty management. Um, again, Sam Callahan didn't start, didn't play uh, as such. Uh, Bob Tui, because they were held in reserve um, for last night's under-20 game that didn't work out in Mayo's favour. 
Um, these are guys that played in the National League final um, a week previous. Um, I, I, I don't know was it the right decision. Um, there'll probably be, you know, there'll be a, maybe a, a lesson learned or a decision made going forward again. But we, we don't, Bob Tui is a young, massively um, capable footballer. Sam Callaghan too. But we, again, from the bench, midfield, that kind of strength, dominant, when there is a 50-50 battle around the middle, um, and it's not working out for Jim as such, and it's not working out for Matthew Rowan, um, and Enda Smith dominating, Connor Cox coming on. Probably you're going, who would be our our, our third midfielder, our, our, our go-getter? Um, and again, back in the day, there was there was loads of us around. We had that, you know, um, it's a different game now from a from an athletic perspective of midfield, but we, we can uh, probably a little bit shy in that regard um, if there was an injury picked up. Uh, or there was a scenario that, that presented it against uh, Roscommon uh, the last day. You do have obviously six weeks and that will be a different team. The under twenties will be available for the round robin. As it comes, uh, there'll be two games that aren't in uh, in um, a home ground for you, which it turns out isn't much of a, a disadvantage for Mayo at the moment. So I like it's a kick in the hole, but actually maybe it's one they needed. Um, it's one they got. Uh, I, I'm not saying that, that, that you, you always say you you, uh, you never you never deserve a kick in the arse, and you look back and say you did. Um, but it is something that they will need to work on from a from a, a game perspective, a game management perspective. And uh, it is it, it's there's nothing there's nothing that's not fixable. There's nothing honestly that I don't think is not fixable. I think it will refocus the minds, uh, refocus the, the entire squad. Um, from a from a management down to have a full pick now under twenties are are out, and I think the six weeks the six weeks will um, will will be good. And again, this it's 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 not somewhere that Mayo have never been before. They've been here, they've been in the scenario, they've been in the situation, um, and it's about getting that 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 role of confidence and again that that um, continuation of, of of wins in in the uh, in the group stages. To, to one last point that uh, Keen Johnson was making to us if the bits that are they need to fix right uh, on the Mayo kick out if you're playing against them come off completely let them have the ball work it through the lines because they don't appear to be that comfortable with it at the moment because it, it, it doesn't allow you to get into that chaos situation where uh, both sides are going at each other and then the other thing is don't foul because they don't have enough scoring power from open play um, they, 10 points from uh, not from play that uh, they kicked against Galway if Galway hadn't fouled them then you know, we saw against Roscommon they didn't have the wherewithal to break them down. They have to find that. They've got to get that tactical nous on the field and the the game smarts to be able to change when things aren't working. And again, yes, and again, it's 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 done in a room and it's done on the you bring that from the pitch again. If there is teams that are kind of you know. You, you would you would look probably to stack one side or overload one side with some of your more physical players, so they're creating an imbalance. If you do win it and there is the fast players and runners coming off, very hard to stop. Um, but there is them, there you know there there is them changes and them kinks that you can you can make in a game plan. Um, now again, there will be and it is creeping in a little bit that you know scores from play, Galway, you know amount of scores from play, Roscommon, again. You look back against Tyrone and the Currys of this world. Um, by just there was enough of scores from player in, in them games, uh, and they're only a month and a half ago, two months ago. So it, you know it's not a lifetime ago, but there is that kind of 
And again, I suppose you're looking at, you know, March, April conditions, weather doesn't suit. Simple as, and, and I'll be, you know, doesn't necessarily suit Mayo from the football and the type of football that they play. Um, a, 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 a breezy, wet, rainy day is, is not ideal. Not ideal. I, I, I do say it as a, as um, a lever to a degree. It diminishes from their, their probably overall strength as a fast, fluid, um, slick team. But, um, I wouldn't let I wouldn't let it, it it creep in to say that they aren't they aren't scoring enough or they aren't a team they're able to capable are capable of scoring um, from play and uh, I think they are and I think that the five six weeks is is and again it's like everything else a week is a long time in, in football six weeks is even longer and it gives them an opportunity to be refreshed come back and go at it again. Uh, David, the result in Castlebar was one thing, but I guess the, the the story of the weekend was in the Bronx and and what's what's come out of it since and we. we there's been a lot of abuse um, hurled and directed towards Leitrim players coming out of that result of the weekend. Uh, enough to necessitate a statement, in fact, from, from Leitrim GA yesterday, uh, clearly criticising and, and, and lashing out at that, at that abuse. What do you make of all this? Because we, we spoke about it at the top of the show today. There's a lot of online forums in, in, in the GA world where people can use these anonymous names to, to abuse these players. And it's, it's a scourge that, that seems to, to, to not be going away anytime soon. And and it's it's unfortunate that it's it's widespread in society, not just in, from a sporting context. I telling you now, I found it hard to go to sleep at half one, two o'clock, half two on Saturday night after an absolutely epic game. And I I have played in Australia, I've played in Chicago, I've played in Boston, I've played in London. I have spent time with people that have been exiled from their homeland, their home county, and for what it represented from a, a vast, an awful amount of people. And I think it's a fan, it was brilliant that, you know, the way that New York have come and had their first championship victory. Unfortunately, Leitrim had to be at the tail end of it. Uh, and again, it's, you know, it's, you, you go to yourself, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, you're not an embarrassment. You're lost against a very good and well-organized New York team. But again, there is people, and sometimes, sometimes I, I feel, I, I feel sorry for them because, the, some of the vitriol and some of the comments were the lowest of the lowest. But the reality is, and I, I, you know, there's a few people that, people, yes, very disappointed and, 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 and not happy with the performance, but you're going, that's okay. But it's, it's the outside people, the, the people that you think that would post on a message board or think would post on Twitter. Um, they're not Leitrim people. They're people that just have nothing else to do in their lives. But uh, to throw vitriol and low the lowest of the low comments at a, at a football team uh, that lost a game, they, they didn't do anything. Else. They just lost a, a GEA game. But it it and it, it becomes that kind of I think that 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 mixer that it's, it's thrown in there and it's it, it builds up. And uh, I, I I don't and I've talked to Leitrim people, very proud Leitrim people, um, that are still proud of their team, uh, not happy with the result. And who is? But um, it's it's. It's awful to see. Yeah. And it is, it is, it's not right. But I would say that it's not all, it's not about Leitrim supporters. This, it's, it's, yeah, probably one or two bounces flew off the handle and, but it's, um, it's a sad indictment in, in, and on the people that actually write these things because, uh, they have damn all to be doing in their lives. TV, we'll leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. See you guys.
Now, if you want more GA chat, the football pod are hitting the road again. They're heading to Killarney on Thursday, the 4th of May. It's with thanks to AIB. Tommy, Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue will bring the football pod to the Great Southern Hotel for a live episode. It's an exclusive off-air event and tickets are limited and flying, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events. It's all in partnership with AIB. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Up next, talking League of Ireland with Billy Perth. First, here's Dan McDonald chatting about how the Euro 2028 bid isn't a massive investment for Ireland. But I mean, it's a bit like when people say everyone's so excited to have Joe Biden here. I mean, most people I meet are getting on with their day. Mm. So I wouldn't get too hung up on the Paul cars and the political classes dining out on it. I, I can understand almost their resentment as they do so. Yeah. In this instance, given the minimal outlay, given the fact that the Aviva is very much in place, given that Dublin is well practiced at hosting events, generates whether it's 240 million or another uh, sum, but it'll generate some money for the economy. It's hard to have a great problem with it. I totally understand if you're not that excited by it, but this is not a case of the FEI funneling available taxpayer money towards a vanity project or a stadium or two, which could be going towards League of Ireland grounds. This is pretty much, uh, okay, we're, we're set up to do this. So, you know, on those terms... I, like you, don't get overly excited by the whole idea of it, but I, I certainly have no objection to it. Whereas if we were talking about a big outlay of taxpayer money going into a, a football project in this country and it wasn't going towards League of Ireland grounds, then I think we'd have to have a real discussion. It is It is about the League of Ireland we're turning our attention to now. It's 8.50. Vinnie Perth is with us. Vinnie, good morning. How are morning. You? How are we? Uh, Brent Pope used to have a saying, never give a sucker an even break. And for about four weeks... Shamrock Rovers looked like a little bit like they were suckers and everybody kept giving them even breaks and didn't take the opportunity and like the Terminator, they're back. Yeah, I, I think you've been calling for this. You want Rovers to struggle. I, well, I like, can hear it in your voice. Because I know they're going to reel off 10, 11 victories in a row at some point. Yeah. And what you want is for that not to be a 10-point gap at the end of that so that week in, week out. See, my mind works different. So when I grew up, I was a Steve Davis fan. And everyone in the house and was like, "Why? Like why? Like yes. Jimmy White is the here?" And I was like, "No, it's I want the best teams to win. What? I hate the underdogs winning." This explains a lot, Vinny. Why Nobody are you love Davis? Oh, I love Steve Davis, and um, why? And then Stephen Hendry after that, I'm going, "Yeah, but now I have become a Ronnie O'Sullivan fan. You'd be glad to oh, also yeah, win, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he wins every time. Finally. The best have to win. But look, I think um, we've got." It's a fascinating league at the moment. I hear you when it comes to the, the Rovers stuff. It looks like they're about to kick in. Um, I was at the Rovers Balls game on Friday and they were outstanding. It um, must be said. And I think um, I spoke about Rovers and Derry here a couple of weeks ago and Graham Bork's performance in the first half was... And, and I have to be careful with my language. A lot of people speak very highly of League of Ireland players when you need to be careful about where it is and we've been you've been discussing say Real Madrid and Chelsea this morning but Graham Bork's performances this season I think have been uh, from a League of Ireland perspective ex- exceptional and he's he's been a real sort of catalyst for them but it's not just that it's the squad everything about them it was a brilliant performance on Friday night and a worrying one for balls at the same time they were so outclassed by, by Rovers on the night that's why Bowes bouncing back immediately was incredibly important for the league. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I didn't see it coming because I was that worried about the performance um, on Friday. I thought Rovers were so far ahead of them. They looked a little bit tired. I looked at someone like Keith Buckley, who Keith, Keith went and travelled for a year last year, 
in the middle of his career and I looked and went, he looks a little bit tired, a little bit off. But the way he bounced back on, on, on Friday, I thought, um, albeit I know Rory Higgins complained about the penalty decision. I thought balls were worthy winners when I watched the game back and um, it was an exceptional performance. And, and I think I think people don't understand how difficult it is to go Friday, Monday. And that's why I give huge credit to the manager and them this, on them performances when someone bounces back on a Monday you've got to give Declan Vine huge credit for that performance on, on Monday night that was that was excellent Jack Byrne is someone we give a lot of credit to of course on the, on the show but um, in terms of his form this season it's been it's been at a level that, that he's reached in plenty of years but he, he almost seems to be taken to the next level you mentioned Graham Burke but, but Byrne has been so important to that yeah I think I think when I go back to Friday night which seems like a, a lifetime ago in League of Ireland terms um, himself and Graham Burke looked a level above now you also have to add into that so someone like and, and we've referenced to here about horses for courses so, some like Dylan Watts sort of went under the radar a little bit in the game but He's done a, a phenomenal job on Friday night and w- was very quiet. Neil Ferrugia is, I would say, I would say Neil Ferrugia is very close to an Ireland call-up. That's how good, and particularly in that position, and whether he needs to leave Shamrock Rovers at the end of the season not to get that call-up, that'll be interesting. But remember, he was someone who was part of that great 21 squad that Stephen Force took mm. over. I think he scored the first goal for Stephen in the 21s. I think he, he's at a crossroad, but... To go back to Jack Bourne, Jack Bourne, I would have been sort of almost not critical, but he hadn't reached the levels of he is of he had done. He's very close to that now, and I think that's a scary proposition for the rest of the league because he is he's he's up there as the best player in the league. Can Bourne and Burke get called back into the, the Irish squad at any point? Do you think, or is that ship sailed? No, it's a it's a really difficult one now. I think back in the day I could understand the argument for now I think we've developed so many players when you look at our midfield now you look at Noy Malumbi uh, McGrath what he's doing and, and he's only on the fringes Alan Brown can play in there you've got Cullen mm. it, it is a lot more difficult now and um, it, it will be a lot more difficult they'll have to do something exceptional throughout the summer in terms of European football but the advantage they would have over a League 1 a League 2 player trying to break into that squad is they'll have a, a real showcase around Europe if Rovers go on and have another campaign in in a, in a group stages that will definitely help them Yeah I think it's great that we're talking about this team and the level of performance that you're talking about and it's not a foregone conclusion already nine games in the way it has been in some recent seasons so that's definitely a testimony to the rising tide Just to stick on this point for a moment is this the first time that they've all been fit together at the same time for a run of games like over the last couple of years that we've had Burke and Byrne and Ferrugia and obviously Watts like um, I think I think it no they've had them at different stages I think Graham Burke uh, is one was it, Graham Burke's an interesting one because his form goes up and down he doesn't tend to la- like in, in the Derry game earlier on the season for first 45 minutes he, he looked above everyone else on the pitch second half his form dipped I think Graham struggles to play 90 minutes he's, he seems to have and again you don't when you don't work with the player you need to be careful but he, I don't know whether he has injury or something in the background but um, yeah I, I just think Neil Ferrugia has because has, he's that quick winger he's been crippled with hamstring injuries and I hope and touch wood, I hope he's over that now because he's someone I tried to sign a few years back and I, I still put that down to one that I really, really missed and I think he would have been exceptional for Dundalk as a winger. But as a wing back, 
Um, he's someone that's really exciting. So, yeah, a couple of them have come back together around the same time. Jack Bourne had that back injury throughout last year, but um, they all look really fit at the moment. The squad looks really, really strong. And Gary O'Neill missed uh, Friday night and wasn't a big loss because of the strength and depth in that squad. What was the general sense in the aftermath that um, the game had put its best foot forward? It's a Friday night, it's on Virgin for the first time, The it's packed and we got goals it was kind of a high quality yeah unfortunately we missed uh, in that game we missed a big referee uh, decision and controversy so it was actually refereed really really good to be fair look I, I watched the game back on Virgin to see because it was at a live you know it was it was an excellent an excellent production they went back to a studio uh, Brian Kerr and Ian Morris done a really really good job the good side of it was the promotion of it throughout the whole week um, not talking about but even like things like Ireland I am weatherman who mm. tends to roam well he roamed around Delhiman Park it's just small things like that that, yeah. that they do they've done really really well and you've got to give uh, Virgin or TV3 as I called them last week huge credit for that that was they, they, they promoted the game excellently and I think people uh, t- t- people bought into it I don't know what the viewing figures are like and hey I wouldn't imagine they're huge but you have to start somewhere Uh, well that's it and look he was up against uh, rugby at the same time and that's unfortunate but that won't always be the case and you know you've got to as we keep saying you have to build familiarity with the players and build familiarity with the styles that are going to make the fights and Mm. like that's it's a long slow steady build to a point where you're an overnight success after five years of hard work yeah it feels like 40, 50 years but yeah I think we're I think there's a lot of good things happening again uh, I always say don't don't take it for granted though. You know, don't take don't take people for granted. Don't take um um like overcharging people because you can. Don't put people out in the pissings of rain and expect them to keep coming back and we've got to get a house in order and, and we're slowly but surely doing that, but there's there's still ways to go and um but there's, there is green shoots there's no doubt about it Will Derry's home form be the, the killing of them at four wins from nine I, like you're just reading the comments from Murray Higgins after the match the Bowes match he was obviously given out about the penalty and he went on to give out about the last four home games and decisions that went against them as well don't want to get bogged down in the officiating again like we did last week but the home form generally from Derry has been a bit of a concern for Higgins Yeah it, it's there's, there's two things one is um, there was a they played Drogheda on Friday and Drogheda beat them 1-0 and that was a real shock result and there was two sending offs in that game that were just wrong decisions and you've got to call them what they are you've got to I protected referees last week so, but when, when decisions are wrong you've got to say they're wrong to two sending offs one for Drogheda and one for Derry but the home form on that pitch um, I'm someone who's been involved ten, nine, ten years at Dundalk and all one thing that took away from what we did was the state of our pitch at home and ironically I think our away form was always better we preferred to play in grass but the pitch is really difficult up there and um, it just it, it's very hard to explain to people it's a big pitch and it's an astro pitch as well and it's just not good and it's not conducive to the type of football Derry want to play I don't think and um, it's certainly a problem for them and you add on top of that the injury list they have um you wonder is the pitch I mean, needed? Is there, you know well like, it is in, I, I mean in, in the NFL the richest players union in the world is like desperately agitating to get away from the plastic pitches to the the astro pitches to um, the, there's, there's a couple of sides to that one is when, when I when I played um we didn't play I grew up there wasn't 
AstroTurf pitches. The modern kid now is being brought up on AstroTurf pitches, so the likes of the IT bands and all of this stuff, they're well used to it. All the players are struggling on pitches because they're not used to it, they haven't been brought up on it. So most kids playing under 9, 10, 12, 13 football now are probably playing on AstroTurf. We probably need them in this country because of the, the, weather. the weather we yeah. have. And remember, the other side of this country is Sonny Chanton's son the other day involved with Cherry Orchard coaching there. And he's saying, we're about to shut down the league for a couple of months. <laughs> Look at the weather. He's standing in, and he was training the other night in, well, like, trying, to convince, two or three. trying to convince your kids to go, and it's lashing rain outside, and you're like, I mean, I don't really want to go. Yeah, and, and he's a guy, uh, Alan Murphy played League of Ireland for years, uh, when it was winter football, no problem standing out in the cold, but he said, you're looking, you're trying to coach kids, it's freezing, and we're going to shut down our grounds for the summer. Yeah, it's just mental where you could play two or three games a week. I don't really understand how the decision was made and all the all the the, the cracking of the eggs to make the omelet happened, and now it's all dissolved again. Yeah, it's it's called politics and Irish football, and uh, we we could be here all day trying to explain it. We um, get nowhere. A quick word about uh, about shells. Uh, I had a friend who went to the shells UCD game, and after was like, "This is not sure about this." In fairness, Duffer did say that the performance was so bad he took it home. It's the first time that he's done that, and they did come out and they did improve. So, um. yeah, I was at that game on Friday night in Tolkien. and it was actually it's funny. Uh, I was trying to sum it up in my own head. Um, some of the games and what's going on in the league is really confusing at the moment because um, it w- it wasn't a great game of football. Pitch wasn't brilliant, but it was in a, it was a brilliant game of football. So. Explain that one. I, I can't. It was really exciting. Sligo were very good for 45 minutes. How was Monday night? Sorry, Monday night, Friday, Friday was... Um, Friday was... Belfield was, yeah, by all accounts, one of the worst games that anybody's yeah. ever seen. <laughs> well, well, there's been a few of them. And you get them in football, no matter what level you're playing at. But but to be fair, to they, they backed it up on on with a huge win. But um, again, Duffer being any other, any other manager... There was, you know, it wouldn't have made the headlines that you know he had a bad weekend over the Easter, and that's what's great. It's box office when when Duffer speaks, but um, in fairness, he bounced back. But UCD is a tough place to go. It is a it is a tough environment to go and play football in. It's it's sort of quite open. Not many people there. No atmosphere. Um, no atmosphere. Yeah. And it, it is. Whereas Talca, the atmosphere sounds great. Yeah, no, and it was really good. And that's what I say to you. I don't think it was a brilliant game of football. Um, in terms of from a technical point of view but actually uh, I was glued to my seat I really enjoyed Sligo and Shells on, on Monday night um, Shells or Sligo should have won the game uh, Duffer made three subs at half time and went for it and he got back into the game bizarre on goal and he probably deservedly won the game on their second half performance and the manager deserves huge credit for that performance and it was a big win for them big win there's six points between second and ninth it's a bit like um, the relegation battle in the Premier League at the moment but that's the level of excitement that you want where there's a sense of jeopardy heading into every game going and if, if teams do make those changes at half time and try and win games yeah. it's going to continue to well well, it's huge like you look at Cork this week um, they had a great win against Dundalk and I think it's important for Cork to play UCD this week that they they back that up with another win and that second last is a relegation playoff and the problem for the Premier Division clubs at the moment is you've got Galway and Waterford going to fill that spot most likely full-time clubs it's really a position normally you would you would say 
the Premier Division club is red hot favourite to win that playoff game. This year it's going to be different, so you do not want to be there. So it's it, it is crucial that teams pick up points. And we've also seen we've seen Dundalk lose three games in a week and go from potentially second toward to to toward from the bottom. And you've seen Pats go from under a bit of pressure to win in three games in a week and it's just it's just a bit of madness at the yeah. moment do you do you use the word crisis yet to, to discuss Dundalk because you mentioned that the three games in a week that they've lost it's Derry at home on that Astro Pitch at Oriel Park this Sunday afternoon for them maybe Joe Biden's visit to the town might inspire them to, to a couple of results who knows but it, it's it's certainly it's certainly worrying so the Cork City defeat on Monday night 1-0 as you mentioned the 2-1 defeat at Sligo then on Friday and 4-0, albeit they had a man sent off as well in that game against Rovers. Yeah. But There's two sides to the Dundalk story. One is um, on, on the pitch against Cork. I watched the game on LOI TV and it was a struggle. It was a, In fairness, there was Hurricane Charlie down the pitch behind Cork's back and then Dundalk came out the second half and it was just calm. Just typical <laughs> Irish weather. You're like, as a player, you're like, just get through half-time, we'll have this. and then, But... Their performance, no no shots on goal. It was really lethargic. Um, their, their injuries, again, you go to the pitch, but they, they've had... John Mountney came back to the club over last year too. He's, you know, bad knee injury. Robbie Benson, albeit he's suspended, mom's had injuries. Daniel Kelly's had hamstring injuries. Pa Hooban is missing. So they're the players, and, and they're the League of Ireland players who know how to go into Cork and pick up a result. Missing them is huge. For me, the crisis is probably off the pitch since the new owners have gone in. Um, Peak Six were ran out of town, and the new owners have gone in, and Dundalk have, have, have gone backwards. Like, um, How distracting is that for, for manager and players? Do, do they really focus on all, on all of that stuff? Um, well, players probably less so, but manager know what's going on. Like, I mean... There's no way Stephen O'Donnell has put this squad together as in this is his number one targets. Now, no one ever gets all the number one, but this isn't his squad. I won't. I would say he's probably looking at Pats and the stability of Pats with envy and saying, remember, Stephen walked out Pats to go to Dundalk. He's probably looking at that club and the stability of it. Pats' owner is, is you know very stable in terms of his investment into the club. He's probably looking at that with a bit of envy now, and and I'm not saying he's regretting his decision, but he's probably regretting his decision. <laughs> these uh, these fixtures this week: uh, Bowes and it's Bowes at home to Pats, it's Rovers at home to Shells, it's UCD at home to Cork. They're tomorrow's games, and then on Saturday it's Sligo and Drogheda, and then on Sunday afternoon it's Dundalk versus Derry City. And in their own way, they're all pretty big games. And that, and that's the beauty of the league we have at the moment. Um, the the Bowes and Pats game. It is fascinating. I think if Bowles win that, it, it's a real statement win. We're quarter the way through the season. You've got to remember it's a real statement win. Um, Pats play Bowles and then Rovers in the next two games. They've just you know come away from a little bit of pressure that they were under as a team. Do they lose two then, and all of a sudden is that pressure back on because you inevitably find yourself second or third from bottom if they lose yeah. one of them. So everything has has something riding on, and that's where the league at the moment is is really exciting. It's it's really interesting, and um, you know Duffer will go up and he will enjoy taking on Rovers, and they will be hard to beat. There'll be a, a sort of five four one. Come on, break us down and um, yeah, there's some fascinating games. The Dundalk and Derry game has huge. Um, uh, ramifications because even though it's on, it's early in the season, the psychology of Dundalk. If Cork were to beat UCD, which 
probably will happen. And Dundalk don't beat Derry. They're in that relegation playoff zone. Yeah. And once you're in it, mm. yes, you're probably... That becomes the focus of conversation. You're two wins away from being toured, but you're yeah. still in the relegation playoff yeah. zone. Yeah. And that's why fans see it, and it's fascinating. Alan Reynolds' departure from, from Derry to go back closer to home for, for to Waterford for personal reasons like it's it seems to be an issue that is going to make Derry suffer for a little bit because he was he was highly highly rated at the Brandywell for sure yeah um, this is a fascinating I heard Keith Wood yesterday I only picked up bits of it while I was in the car speaking about you know the the, the keys of uh, what was the word he used the key well Leo Cullen had the keys yeah. of, but it's fascinating because the the role of assistant manager is it's one that really interests me. So I, for eight, nine years, I was assistant manager of Stephen Kenny. But even people in my own family didn't even know who he was. So it's it's not as important as you think, but it's only important when somebody goes. And you look at the stability of Rovers, like someone like Glenn Cronin is the assistant manager there. And I wouldn't say nobody knows. People in the League of Ireland know. But Glenn hasn't even applied for his pro licence, I noticed, or sorry, certainly not on the course. So he's not looking to become a manager and that's important for Stephen Bradley. And while Stephen will get all the plaudits and rightly so being an outstanding manager, having Glenn beside him who's someone who's does does the work and would have a certain amount of players on his side because obviously not everyone in that squad will love Stephen Bradley and the importance of an assistant manager is huge and um, some assistant managers have a bigger name than a manager and or as big. and But... It is such an important role and, and Rory losing Alan Reynolds, not necessarily from a coaching perspective, I would say from a, a, a right-hand man mm-hmm. and having someone, as he builds that club beside him that he can trust and rely on and know he's going to be there is absolutely huge. All right, we'll uh, see how that unfolds over the rest of the season. Vinny, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Enjoy the games this weekend. It's nine minutes past nine. Here's some highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you today. Coigig Podcast is up and available now. Shane Carthy, fresh from his heroics uh, in the Bronx for New York. I think he might have been on the line from Boston. And uh, Wednesday Night Rugby all available for you right now. After the break, uh, we're going to talk to Keith Tracy for his You Had to Be There. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Right. This week's episode of You Had to Be There, Keith Tracy is with us. Keith, you're getting caught there chatting in the break. How are you? Yeah, chatting away, sorry. Yeah, all good. How are you? Um, you were saying this wasn't that easy in the end? No, I've, I have a very poor memory. Anybody who uh, anybody who knows my history will know I, I had a, about six or seven year period where I just went on the drink uh, crazy. So it was quite hard to remember, but my friend Google dug me out of a hole anyway and some memories in there as well. Right. Um, when did you play for Ireland? What What years? What years? Uh, oh, see now that's a curveball. See, my memory, my memory is knackered. I'll get your Wikipedia here. Yeah, here we go. Twenty ten um, is what your Wikipedia says. Yeah, well, I'll go with Wikipedia. It was all under Trapatoni. It was about a two-year period, I think. I was in the Irish team and an awful lot of squads, but not so many caps. And how close were you? Did you feel to getting games? Because uh, uh, none, none of the games you played are in your list. That's what I'm going to ask him about this. Yeah, well, they weren't great games. I think the only game I started for Ireland was against Northern Ireland in the in the Nations League, which right. wasn't great. But even the Argentinian game, I, I come on and Messi played. But, you know, it's individual performance. And Messi wasn't great that day. Di Maria was good, but not outstanding. And I thought he was close, but Damien Duff was, was hanging on for his 100th cap. And it was sorted. Like, it was never said to me that, oh, listen, as soon as Damien's done, you'll be in. Because McGeady was there, Hunty was there, Liam Lawrence was there. There was an awful lot of good wingers, but... 
I always felt that once Duff got to his 100 caps, maybe it would open up a little bit for me. But, you know, as it, as it happened, it didn't quite turn out like that. OK, so the criteria for this for people who are, are uh, just coming to this is that uh, great individual performances that stand out uh, and you had to be there. Mm. That's uh, actually had to be there. Um, so you picked four football and one boxing. We're going to start with uh, the Republic of Ireland versus Brazil. This is Ronaldinho in 2004. Um, this, I presume, is, is it Lansdowne or is it a Croke Park? Lansdowne, no, Lansdowne, Lansdowne yeah. yeah. What do you remember about this? It, it wasn't... I was at this game. I, uh, the club I played for, Belvedere, used to sell programmes at the game. So we'd sell programmes and about 10 minutes after the game kicked off, we'd get, to, we'd get to go down and watch it. And I remember just some of the names being on it. Ronaldinho, Cafu, Roberto, Carlos, Kaká, uh, Ronaldo, the r Ronaldo, obviously. And like it, it wasn't a great game of football. Ireland were there to try and, try and get a result, but just Ronaldinho's movement and being able to take the ball under pressure you know there was, at that age I was 14 and I was watching Ronaldinho and it, he, he wasn't nutmegging people flicking the ball over his head as as he would do he wasn't entertaining people just to have a player a yard away and say yeah give me the ball it, it, it just opened me eyes to being marked and not being marked and being able to get the ball when you can have the ball and just how strong he was when he got it you know people were literally flying in to try and get him off the ball and he was just bouncing them off him and I think that was probably my first look at a real world-class player. and Yeah, it, it stuck with me. Although his individual performance, like I say, it wasn't outstanding. There was just little things in it that thought, if I could be able to do that, it'd go a long way to making me a player. It's funny how um, watching football matches is totally different, depending on, I, I find, depending on where you are in the stadium. If you're at ground level, I always find it much more physically impressive. Yeah. Like it, it's, a, it's a tactical and technical battle, and you can see space, and you're wondering why people don't shoot from much further out when you're up high you're like oh, just shoot yeah it looks easier yeah but when you're actually on the ground level I remember being completely astonished when um, Ireland played France and Zidane was there I was like what's the big deal but then you're like oh my god it's like so physically imposing creation of space with, with almost no movement just like a shimmy and I suspect it's a little bit like that with Ronaldinho where like you know, he's obviously very busy and he's a, it's a much smaller shorter running style but the, the quick he, movements his force touch was unbelievable and you know as a player you start to try and get try and get ahead and you think well if he's going to touch it there I'll jump ahead of the touch but he can control it where he studs the outside of his foot he, he just keep his body in the way and holds you off and if you, if you got a little bit too aggressive and tried to nick the ball he'd just make an absolute show you he really would so look everybody knows how good Ronaldinho was he was unbelievable and there were so many players in that team but he was the one that stood out as the entertainer as the one who would you know, nobody wanted to go flying into him because they know he he would just make a, an absolute showy. And it was peak Ronaldinho. It was Barcelona Ronaldinho at that time as well. Like it's funny. Like I think I was ten or eleven at this match as well. And your your memory sometimes plays tricks on you. But I remember an unbelievable atmosphere for a friendly. Yeah. It's because it's Brazil, obviously. But it's funny how it's one of those games that will always stick out if you're at it. Yeah. Well, I remember. Like I said, I finished uh, selling the programs about say five minutes, ten minutes into kickoff. They tell you lads, you can go and watch the game now. And as I'm walking around the one end of Lansdowne Road to get to the other end of it, the bat end, the bat avenue end, I was walking around to. There was just all these samba dancers with Brazil flags, and the atmosphere was unreal. And the game had kicked off. Yeah. But in the stadium, it was just bouncing. It was, like I say, for a friendly, it was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, next one is Liverpool against Blackburn. This is. In 2009, in April 2009, Fernando Torres, it's Liverpool 4, Blackburn 0. But you are on the field for this one. Yeah, thanks for that. I, yeah, I was on the field for this one. This uh, this was the Hillsborough disaster, um, the anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster. So we went out and we, we Stephen Warnock, a, 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 a scouser that was playing for Blackburn, he laid the wreath and 
we started Chris Samba up front started me on the right wing Keith Andrews played right back there was an awful lot of people uh, square pegs in, in round holes Chris Samba's a centre back right? a centre back about 6 foot 6 centre back so the, the plan was to get the ball out to me on the right wing being left footed I'd come back and chip it to the back post and Samba would be there and we'd get runners in, into the boxer into the box, so a, a great plan from from Aladoy. So we were we were one 0 down after twenty <laughs> seconds in that game, but the, the goal from Torres, I think uh, I think we kicked off lost lost possession, gave gave possession to Liverpool. Carragher got the ball, chipped it into Torres and Ryan Nelson, and I, I can't remember who the other centre half was because Chris Chris Samba was up front. He uh, Torres takes a, a touch on his chest. He's facing the wrong way, and he just puts the ball into the top corner. And after twenty seconds, you're thinking. Great plan. Oh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> but then, then they missed a chance, missed another chance, and I, I was thinking that that was an unbelievable finish from Torres, and I was thinking, yeah, he's a decent player, but you, you know, you expect him to score goals like that. He he was, you know, went for fifty million to Chelsea, Spanish international, but all of a sudden they got a free kick out on the right wing. I think it was it was Keith Andrews who gave it away, and the ball come, gets whipped in, and Christopher Sam is about to head it, and Torres just come and put him on his back and put the ball into the back of the net with his head, and you're thinking. This Torres boy has everything. He can head it. He can score fantastic goals. His walk rate was good, and he was nasty as well. He would leave a couple of studs in on you as well. He had everything, and that was the one one game I came away and thought Torres is the real deal. He was really, really good. Did that happen to you often as a footballer, where you're like, I have expectations. Played against everybody. You've seen good players in training at various stages. You know, I think probably by that stage you're already, or maybe just getting into the Ireland squad. So, um, you know. You certainly played international the whole way up um, as an underage, so you'd seen really, really top quality players. Were there many occasions where you're like, "Oh, he is actually special"? No, to be honest, like I'd love to say it happened an awful lot that I came away thinking, "Oh, he was brilliant and he was outstanding," but it happened quite la- quite rarely. I was taken back by players and think, "My God, he was outstanding." And even now, the Torres one is, you know, he's outstanding, brilliant, played. Excellent in that game, but he had the backup of Xavi Alonso, Mascherano in the middle as well. So even when we had chances to hurt Liverpool, they were, they had good defensive players on the pitch as well. But in terms of being knocked back, like I, I always think of Messi and Ronaldo. And look at Ronaldo uh, put me back. He was obviously an outstanding player. So was Messi. But in terms of when I played against Messi uh, in the Aviva against Argentina. He actually wasn't that good. He'd done an awful lot of walking around. So in terms of his individual performance, he wasn't great. But yeah, it didn't didn't happen as much as you you would think it might it might have. Was there an aura about Torres? Yeah, at that time there was a definite. Everybody was afraid of him. I, I remember sitting in the dressing room and, and speaking to you know Tugo, all, all the older heads, and they were all scared of Torres. They all wanted to. Where's Torres from corner kicks? Where's he going to be from second balls? And obviously with Chris Hamble up front, you're thinking just stay in the game, linger in. We'll play for set pieces. We'll get something. Get the crowd quiet, and you know we're one nil down after thirty seconds. It was a great goal, and yeah, we got a right down that day, and it was mostly down to Torres. Uh, and just reading the post-match comments here, I think there was a little bit of fear in the team. Says Sam Allardyce, and he sounds like he was correct. Uh, we should have got tighter and said we just let them play their game plan. Uh, there'll be a lot of twists and turns yet, but they certainly believe they can do it. That's about Liverpool winning the title. Uh, this is under Rafa. Is that the Rafa fax season? It probably is. Is it? Yeah. Nine. Yeah. Is it? Themselves and United were going for the United ended up winning the title, didn't they? Oh nine. Liverpool were certainly in contention in this game because this was eight. This would have been April. I can't find team sheets, but Daniel Agger scores as well. I think. Yeah, he scored a cracker. He scored a tort goal. It was a, a long range drive. Yeah, a centre half. Team here. Yeah. O- Oyer was he the? 
Was he, would he have gone centre half if Samba was Andre Yu, yeah, yeah, he'd have been right back. Yeah, Robinson and Golden, Jive, Mukwena, two guy, Andrews, Warnock, McCarthy, and Juve. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good Blackburn team. And they, but look at the Liverpool. Is that El Hadji Juve? El Hadji Juve, yeah. On your team, hmm. what was that like as a teammate? <laughs> I I didn't spend an awful lot of time on. To be honest, he wasn't my cup of tea. Juve was a a very very unique character. To, to, to sum him up, right, this, this is a, a quick story to sum El Hadj Juf up. He went on, I can't remember which manager this was at on the Blackburn, but he went on loan to Rangers and he won the league with Rangers and he came back down. We were in the middle of a relegation battle, possibly going to get relegated. And Juf drives in with a, a week to go in, in the Premier League season. The, the Scottish League was over. He'd won the league. He came down showing everybody his medal from Scotland, thinking we'd all think it was brilliant. But, you know, he got told where to go quickly enough. He... Um, yeah, I'm he was inspiring my teammates with my medals. I look at <laughs> my medal from the Scottish I, I, Premier yeah. League is winning the relegation. I was having crack while you're. Um, yeah. yeah, how are you win bonuses, lads? Yeah, well, he was all about the money. Very, very flash guy, but good player, but not for me. You had Benny McCarthy in that team as well, and he's now doing serious things at Manchester United mm. as, as forwards coach. I know the likes of Marcus Rashford speaks speaks very, very highly of him. Are you surprised that he's gone on to that sort of successful coaching career? Or was that always on the on the cards? Um, possibly a little bit surprised because I came I came across Benny at Blackburn and Benny done really really well for a while. But then he came out of the team and uh, again I'm not sure which manager this is if it, if it was Allardyce or Ince or, or Mark Hughes. But he he started putting a little bit of weight on, so he was thrown into the fat club and he, he sort of had to dig his heels and lose a bit of weight. And Benny Benny was Benny. Benny didn't change for anybody. He did what he did and. We we never really got the best out of him. Hugely, hugely talented boy, but we never really got the best out of him. And like I say, when it's not that he was unprofessional, but Benny was Benny. He didn't change for anybody. So to say if we could see him doing what he's doing now at Manchester United, not really because, like I said, I, I didn't see him in that sort of light because he was an outstanding footballer and didn't try it too much. But I think once you once you finish playing football, I'm starting to realise now, you know, coaching and managing is a, is a great great way to stay within the game and, and feel involved. Mm. Um, the Fat Club, was it actually called the Fat Club? It was called the Fat Club, yeah. Right. There, there was no messing around, it was the Fat Club. Right. Eight o'clock every morning. And how many of the team would have been in the Fat Club? Um, probably no more than a handful, maybe five at most. So it was a serious, serious enough thing to be in, like everybody knew about it. Yeah, everybody knew about it. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. You would be on the rower, swimming, running, whatever it was, and then you'd have your training session, and then after your training session, you'd be back into the fat club for another session, and you'd be getting your body fat stone two or three times a week until it was where they wanted it to be. Right. Were you ever in it? Constantly. Oh, right. <laughs> Always but, in it. But not a pick on you? No, well, no. When I first came over from, from Ireland, they said I was skinny. I, I was the fattest, skinniest person they ever met, because I was, I was no fat on me, but I was chubby somehow. Right. And no muscle, but... Yeah, then I I got a little bit of money and just started drinking and it got a little bit heavier, heavier, heavier. And yeah, my talent mass an awful lot of it, but the the sports scientists were never happy with me. I was, I was a, a fixture in the fat club. And if you could go back now, what would, like, what would, would you hire a nutritionist? Would that be like, you know, when you get money instead of going drinking, if you could spend that on like your body and science, what would you do? I don't know I don't know whether I get a nutritionist and all that because when I, when I come out of the training ground I like to disconnect completely from the football I, I think you need the mental rest you need the physical rest and I, I don't know if, if I could do it all again I would be an awful lot more professional I used to think that I would play till I, till I was 35 and then that would be me and I'd ride off into the sunset with all the money in the world you know it, it, I, I just thought my talent would do that I didn't realise the mental side would have to weigh up with the with me with me talent and 
that was it. I just never had the, the mental side of the game down whatsoever. And, you know, for so, so many years, people were saying, you're so talented, you'd be grand. I never had the mental fight in me. And there was some demons that I obviously had to, had to go and correct before I, I could move on. But, yeah, looking back, I probably would have been the best thing to go and get a nutritionist and have all that stuff outside of the ground. But or even at the club did it for you. Like it sounds like your diet wasn't great apart from the drinking. Is yeah, that- no, my diet was shocking as well. Yeah, it was you know with a couple of drinks and you don't want a, a bowl of pasta. Do you? you end up with a with a donut kebab or something? But yeah, maybe that would have been the way forward. But you have to imagine like footballs come on leaps and bounds since I finished it. It wasn't like that. Very few people had. I think probably a couple of boys at United at the big boys had nutritionists at home. You know. Yeah. Not uh, not your so-called lower teams wouldn't have been that deep into it. Yeah, okay. Um, so Liverpool versus Blackburn, that goal that Fernando Torres scored, I've just found it on YouTube, you can Google it, it's a, it is sensational. Next one is Leeds versus Preston, this is in September 2018, John Parkin scores a hat-trick, you're playing in this, you're, you've moved to Preston at this stage, this is yeah. the next season. Yeah, I've gone to Preston. Um, this is the craziest game ever, and this is a real one. You'd have to be there because you know I don't imagine a lot of people will would have seen this on uh, you know YouTube and on, on the social media. It's a six four win for Preston against Leeds. Yeah, we and we were four one down at half time. It, it was a r- ridiculous game. Darren Ferguson was the manager, and I remember I I set up the first goal. I had a shot. The goalkeeper parries it, and and Parky taps it in for one nil, and then all of a sudden. I think uh, Steve Bruce, Alex Bruce's son, Alex Bruce, Steve Bruce's son, scored a header, and all of a sudden I'm in the dressing room and Darren Ferguson, we're four one down and we're getting an earful. And the one thing he said after was, "Lads, we're not out of this. If we get the next goal, we could win this." And we're all thinking, mm, "Let's just not get beaten here too badly." But then we we go out. I, I ended up scoring a cor- scoring directly from a corner, and I, I did mean it. The the manager used to tell me to shoot from corners directly, so. I did it and luckily I went straight in the back of the net but Parky when you look at his goals he scores a tap in he gets one on his chest swivels scores and look at him there like the, the heaviest footballer you've seen he, I was in the fat club I can only imagine what sort of club Parky was in but <laughs> he was he was an outstanding footballer the most unprofessional fat heavy he used to say when we were running you can't teach an old dog new tricks he wouldn't run for managers he wouldn't do running sessions but he turned it on against Leeds and I haven't seen anybody play that well in Ellen Road and I don't think anybody's ever scored six in Ellen Road. I think Preston are still the right. only team to do right. well, okay. I think so. I'm not 100% sure, but as far as I know, we're the only team to ever score six there. And look, uh, Ellen Road at that stage, I presume the Leeds fans are still pissed off about the fact that they're not in the Champions League because it's still in the memory of all the fans who were on the terraces uh, sitting in their seats that this was a team who were in the Champions League semi-final you know, 10 years previous. So um, it, it, does, it seems alien now, that, to mm. that whole notion. But for that, Group four went up at half time and cruising against Preston. Like this is you know yeah. good times are coming back. But and to be fair, that that's what was going on in my head. That was I think probably my second or third time I played in Ellen Road, and I I had that. I was thinking of Harry Kewell playing at Mark Viduka. I was thinking of all these boys running around playing in the Champions League, and it did. It, it just had that. Even well, like I obviously haven't played in Ellen Road now in a while, but it, it just had that feeling of a special special ground. And maybe that's just the way I was brought up. There's a couple of Leeds fans in me, in my family and. Yeah, Ellen Road is a special place for me and, you know, to go and beat them 6-4 there and there were some Christmas DVDs brought out as well from from Preston. So, look, it was a great game and Parky to score a hat-trick was outstanding. Brilliant uh, brilliant performance from him. Did you score twice? No, I scored once. Okay, you'll take it. What's the atmosphere like at Ellen Road for, for an away team? It's brilliant. It's really good. I, I think it's like any, any of the 
the big away games like St James's, Old Trafford, anywhere, the Emirates, wherever you're going, you have to try and kill the crowd. It's, it's a lot easier said than done, but you know when we went one nil up, the crowd started getting a bit iffy. But then obviously they blew us out of the water, and it's four one, it's bouncing again. And thankfully we managed to wrestle it back. And you know, to be fair, like when you now I look at things from a coaching side, and for Darren Ferguson to be saying that four one, we're not out of this lads, and we're all thinking he's a bit crazy. To go back and win it was excellent, and like I said. Mostly down to down to John Park and Hattrick. What was Ferguson like as a manager? He was he was okay. He could be a bit tiff at times. I I done a couple of things to annoy him, and he would be quite reactive in things. But he never let it linger too far. He would discipline you, give you the slap on the wrist, and then then he would move on quite quickly. But the one thing that stuck was me was when he actually he got uh, he got sacked from Preston a couple of months later. And we had Danny Welbeck, Matty James, uh, a right back as well. The lat, I think, a right back, all all from Manchester United alone. And as soon as Darren Ferguson got sacked, all gone. Alex pulled them all out of the club the next day, and that was that was the best thing for Manchester United, though. Yeah, so. yeah, that that came up in uh, Roy Keane's when he was at um, the Borgosh Energy. That came up as one of those when he's mid Roy when he was mid Alex Ferguson rant. He was like, "Oh, what about your son?" Like, well, yeah, it's all true because it, even in the, the winter that, that year, we would train in Carrington because our our training ground would be frozen. So Darren would ring around, and say, "Lads, we're training in Carrington today," and we'd get our own pitch in, in Manchester. And then as soon as that was handy, as soon as Darren lost his job, all them perks went straight out the window. I've gone down an internet hole here on John Parkin's Wikipedia page. Oh, good this look. is quite incredible. Like his uh, his diet during the day, never went to the gym. Large portions, uh, so tuna crunch sandwich for lunch, bag of crisps, pepperoni pizza, steak bake, and either a bacon and cheese turnover or a sausage bean and cheese melt full English before training as well just to, just to add into it known for his pranks and misadventures transfer deadline day playing for Preston he covertly changes his, his own name in teammate Chris Sedgwick's mobile phone contact list to the name of Sedgwick's agent before repeatedly calling him from his own phone uh, Sedgwick excited that a big transfer move was imminent but um, not to be and there's also a story about a golf buggy uh, crashing down a hill as well bit of a character it seems yeah well, Parky was a uh Parky was crazy. I'm doing a show with him next week uh, in the board. Gosh, under, under the kosher coming over and Parky will be there. He's He was a very, very unique character. He came across a couple of unique characters in my time. But like I said, it, it probably rubbed off on me. I'm looking at players like this that are the most unprofessional players and they're going scoring hat-tricks in Ellen Road. And maybe I, I was attracted to people like that when I shouldn't have been. But great fella, great guy and... If, great player, but not a great professional. If Leeds had won that day, they would have gone second in the table. That like that, and that four one up at home, and you can see how, and that would have been like definitely favourites probably at that stage of the early part of the season to to go back up. I don't know if they did go back up. When, I don't know, actually remember how long it took. Like I said, <laughs> uh, right. So that's Leeds versus Preston. The next one is Sheffield Wednesday against Wickham. Uh, Michael Antonio's playing. Yeah. This is a. We had to. I went on loan to Sheffield Wednesday about. I think there was a month left in the season. I hadn't been playing at Burnley, and, and Dave Jones rings me. Um, would you come on loan for the last the last uh, month of the season, Keith? And I told him out straight. I said, "Listen, I'm not fit. I've been taking liberties with my fitness." And he said, "Listen, as long as your left foot works, we'll take you." And I went on loan. And we played. I think we played Brentford. We beat Brentford the week before, and it came down if we if we beat Wickham at home, we're automatically up. We'd we'd pip Sheffield uh, United to second place. So Wickham come, and we, I think Wickham were already relegated. And like we're get on the Friday, we we're getting phone calls from the police saying get to the ground early. There's going to be forty thousand fans there early. You're going to be stuck in traffic. So we had to get there early. The place was bouncing. There was loyalos everywhere. Beach balls bouncing around. It was unbelievable and. Do you remember Gary Doherty, the Irish international? Oh, yeah. 
he played centre half for Wickham and Mikel Antonio played up front for us right and I think Mikel was probably 18 maybe just turned 18 and he bullied Gary he bullied Gary all over the place and anybody who knows how good of a player Gary Doherty was yeah. it was a tough thing to do to bully him and he scored the first goal like you said the, the fans were bouncing but there was this air that we had to win they were demanding that we won and Mick goes and gets us the first goal it was a brilliant goal and just the way he dealt with the occasion for such a young lad, you know, I, I would have been probably 24, 25, and I, I was feeling the nerves, but for, for Mikel to react the way he did, play the way he did, and to, like I say, to bully Gary Doherty was a, was not an easy thing at that level, especially at that age, and we ended up winning promotion after that game, and it just it just left a little note in my head that I think Mikel Antonio could be something special here, and obviously his career has gone on to prove that. Uh, there's a pitch invasion afterwards. Yeah, there was a pitch invasion. It was a little bit scary, to be honest with I'd you. I'd say, yeah. I was, I was on the right wing, and no, I think I got taken off for a couple of minutes to go, so I managed to just dart down the tunnel. But uh, yeah, we came back out, and the fans were still there, and the beers were flowing. It, brilliant, you know, it was probably one of the best decisions I made, because I, I really didn't want to go to Sheffield Wednesday, because I didn't think I'd do myself justice, uh, not being too fit. But when I got that feeling of the promotion, it, it made it all worthwhile, and... Just went to show how big of a club Wednesday were. Did Dave Jones know you from before? No, I'd, I'd never never played for him. Um, but he, he was adamant he wanted to take me. He he actually told me, go and ring X, Y and Z, do your homework on me. I'll be the manager that you'll, you'll thrive under. And yeah, it was right. And look, it was nearly actually, I nearly went to Sheffield Wednesday after it. Uh, they put a bid in, but it wasn't what Burnley wanted. So it didn't happen. And I ended up staying at Burnley, but... Really, really enjoyed my time, and it just it left a little mental note about Mikel. And do you have any regrets? He didn't sign for Dave Jones. Would I'd, I? I wanted to at the time. I definitely, definitely wanted to go to Sheffield Wednesday. Like I, I, I played for Sheffield United already. I knew the city. I'd, I, I was comfortable in the city, and the fans seemed to take to me after getting promoted. I thought it was all going to be good, but look, I, I had a meeting with the Burnley, uh, with the Burnley chairman at the time and Eddie Hale was not, not far from going back home. I think his mother was ill at the time so there was a new manager going to be coming into Burnley so they were reluctant to let me go with Sean Dyche coming in the door. We didn't know it was going to be Sean yeah. Dyche at the time but we knew a new manager was coming so I think they wanted to give a new manager a crack at me okay. to see if they could sort me out. So you, yeah, and you ended up liking Dyche? Yeah, it, it worked well for uh, for the f- two and a half years I think we were together. It worked really well. He, I, I, like I said, I was at a time where I was actually ready to go. I was finished, and Dice just pumped another two and a half years into me. Right, that sounds like a bit of a um, Lampard Tuchel situation at Sheffield Wednesday that season. Gary Megson has the job, three defeats in a row in February, gets the sack, uh, with promotion still in the balance. But then Dave Jones comes in, wins ten of the last twelve games, and Milan Mandrich was the chairman. The, there you go. The previous guy who obviously had um, taken Harry Redknapp to Portsmouth and won the mm. FA Cup with them, and then. Left and then I think you know there were some investigations. Uh, yeah, well, I, just, I, I need to I, do a bit I of met, reading before I talk about them. I met Milan Mandrich once. It was it was after this game. I was walking down the tunnel and all of a sudden the lads had said, oh, "We're going to Marbella for a couple of days as a as a celebration." So I thought well, the championship was still going. Burnley season was actually had another week to go. So I thought Eddie Howe rang me and said, you, "You need to come back to Burnley for the last week." And Milan Mandrich actually said, "No, he's going to Marbella with the right. lads." So, yeah, I, I had nothing but good things to say about me. <laughs> Got a free did trip he, to Marbella. Did he put you open? Like, was it his gaff or was it a hotel? Oh, no, it was a big five-star hotel. Couple of days, all expenses paid. We uh, had really crack. enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. well, hence, I, I barely remember the football match, so it was a really good, really good <laughs> couple of days. Uh, okay, so your last you had to be there is actually a fight between Carfrotch and George Groves. This is the first fight in Manchester in 2013. It's kind of hard to remember just exactly how big the Frotch Groves fights were. It, it, 
it turns Frotch into a kind of a global superstar in boxing. Yeah, this like I love me boxing. I'm obviously I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but I love watching boxing. I, I bought ringside seats for this. I paid through me nose for two seats, brought one of my mates over from Dublin. and I can't remember. I was playing a game that during the day, and obviously this was at night. And I turned up, and wherever me, I couldn't, I couldn't get me tickets, couldn't get me hands on me tickets to the ringside tickets. So I had to, obviously with me mate being over from Dublin, Keith, I, I had to buy more tickets outside and ended oh, up no. sitting in the last. I had me back to the wall. Oh, the no. End. But look, it was a brilliant, it was like something out of a Rocky movie. It really was. I, I remember George Groves in the build-up saying, I'm going to meet Frotch in the centre of the ring and I'm going to land one on his chin. And Frotch just laughed and said, if you do that, I'll kill you. And George Groves did it. Because like, I was sitting at the back, there was a load of uh, Cockneys in front of me, all George Groves fans. And the whole MEN is bound when he comes out. The whole MEN. There's probably three or four Cockneys in front of me cheering for Groves. By the end of it, the whole MEN is giving George Groves a standing ovation even though he got beaten. He was brilliant. He he dropped dropped Frotch in the first, the first round, I think it was, late in the first round, unsteady on his legs. Everybody's thinking the ref's going to stop it. The ref lets it go. And George Groves outboxed him for the whole, whole fight and then Frotch gets on, on top late in it. And I still think it was a premature stoppage. And... Look, it was a brilliant, brilliant fight, but George Groves that night didn't know an awful lot about him, but he was outstanding. He's counter punching and just the way he went about things. They stopped it in the ninth round. Mm. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a very, very premature stoppage. I have to be honest. I think in that fight, Frotch was in a lot worse situations, and the ref let it go. Groves got into a little bit of a sticky situation, and the ref was very keen to jump in and stop it. The three judges had Groves ahead, so 78, 73, 76, 75, 76, 75. So clearly, Groves was. Mm. Heading towards victory when it when it's a really controversial finish to it. Yeah, like I said, it was a it was a brilliant, brilliant fight. The the best thing was the the atmosphere. You know, Sweet Caroline and all that started coming. The atmosphere is absolutely bouncing. And then when Groves hits Frotch on the chin and he goes down, you could hear the pin drop for about five seconds. The whole place just went silent, and then it burst in into a huge atmosphere again. And like I said, everybody would have been in Manchester and George Groves being from down south. Frotch obviously only being from Nottingham. Everybody was on Frotch's side, but it was like something out of a Rocky film. It really was. Booed in and cheered out. It was excellent stuff, and his individual performance that night was outstanding. Uh, I think he'd been playing Bristol City that day. Would that, would that make sense? I'm just trying to look the... Uh, <laughs> the that the that would make sense, yeah, if that's why I was late to go and collect me tickets. <laughs> I mean, I haven't paid through the nose. Did you ever... You know, I presume you don't get the money back. There's just two empty no, seats no. at ringside. No, I, I, t- I had to collect them in, in, in a hotel close to the MEN arena, so I went to the hotel and they were... No, they're gone. Oof. I said, well, who do I ring? What do I do? Go to the MEN, you might get them there. No. That's, so, that's uh, thankfully, a tout was behind me and I, I managed to get some tickets, so... I seen the fight anyway, but yeah. Oh, were you a, a Frotch fan in advance of this, or just a boxing fan generally? I was just a boxing fan generally. Yeah, like I said, I didn't go to an awful lot of sporting events, but I wanted to take this in because this in in the UK at the time was built Everywhere. as the Battle of Britain. Yeah. Everybody wanted that, and like the build up was excellent. Groves really, really sold the build the build up to it when he was saying, I, "I'm going to come out and I'm going to do this," and Frotch laughing at him saying, "You you you don't have the minerals to come and do this with me. If you do, I'll kill you." And George Groves just done he done everything he said he was going to do in the build up to it, which was um, which was outstanding. Frotch obviously very charismatic, famous now for thinking that the earth is flat. That's uh, that came out in Matthew Macklin's podcast oh, in the wow, last yeah. week or two. So he's like he's absolutely convinced. You know, Andy Lee was on the undercard. I'm just looking here, beat Ferenc Hafner and TKO in the second round. That's some undercard. You've Anthony Crawler, Rocky Fielding, Scott Quigg, Luke Campbell, and Andy Lee among the undercard as well. So it's it's not a bad night's boxing. 
No, well, I only seen the main event. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. For <laughs> those who were there, like, they all sound like great fights. Yeah, I didn't yeah, see any yeah. of them. Uh, the main event was excellent. Like I said, I turned up a little bit late um, having the game, but outstanding memory, great memory for me. Uh, you were saying off air before we came on that um, you didn't go to that many sports events. It was mainly gigs. Uh, music, big music fan. Yeah, always, always music. Loved uh, every. Like I, I, I have a, such a random. Thing. I, I'm going to see Blondie. Going to see. Lionel Richie to from Drake to I bounce around all over the over the shop really I, I, there's no real genre of music for me it's a little bit of everything good opportunity when you were a professional footballer I presume to get decent tickets yeah well the the company staff you know would uh, your agency and stuff would have boxes in the MEM would have boxes in certain places so you just put your name down and yeah. end up getting into these and places but very few sporting events I don't think many footballers go to football and events do they? I think it's a little bit like watching paint dry if you're a footballer You've had enough of it all day, day yeah. in, day out. Exactly, you know, you, you, you want to relax. I don't think footballers watch football to so relax. Any, if we were to ask you to do your, had to be their gigs, any specific ones stand out? Uh, probably Michael Bublé. Right. The MEN again, he, he was absolutely brilliant. But again, another st- I brought my wife and I was in row B, thought it was excellent. Again, paid through the nose to sit in these seats and he sang two songs on the stage and they built another stage down the back of the MEN and he went and sung down there <laughs> oh, went no. to turn and faced the other way and I was thinking <laughs> I'm going to stop paying through the nose for these tickets because yeah. then you're in a row way that stage yeah absolute uh, lottery turns out you're a romantic at heart with Michael Bublé yeah I, I love a bit of the old slow stuff yeah there you go alright uh, you learn something new every day Keith Tracy's you had to be there that was brilliant thanks a million it's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Right, on tomorrow's show, Anna Kaplis, uh, Alan Quinlan and Nas Chowdhury right now. Some Dan McDonald goodness from the football show from last night. OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shaver, your money back, Neon Night Edition, available now. Have a tremendous Thursday. OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.